What are they trying to pull now? Well, they're messing with their heads. Jazz! Jazz, guys! Hey, Jazz, let me in! Keep an eye on him! Jazz! Hey, guys, Jazz, let me in! Who are you? Chris Moore, Capitol Records, A&R. Come on, let me in. I told you, man, things are going our way. Take a few steps back from the door. You tossed me some ID. Hey, hey. All right, man, so how'd you find us? The cops told me you guys are looking for a record contract. There's something going on here we've got to take immediate advantage of, guys. Yeah, Come yeah, on, what? let's talk, huh? Yeah, what's that? What's that? Will you look? This is hot. You guys are the hottest thing since Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Marky Mark, man, that guy sucks. Okay, forget Marky Mark. There's magic out here, guys. Let's talk contracts. I promise you, someday we're going to be backstage at the Forum laughing about this. All right, let me ask you a question. What side are you taking the big David Lee Roth Van Halen split? What do you mean? What kind of question is that? What side did you take, Halen or Roth? Van Halen. He's a cop. Oh, Later, Oink, oink. Strictly a judgment call. They sold a lot of records after Dave left the group. Come on, one more question. Hey, come on, Jazz, one more. Right, 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 right. Who'd win in a wrestling match, Lemmy or God? Lemmy. Ah, God. Wrong. Trick question. Lemmy is God. Come on, everybody. The Dungeons and Dragons ride. Your guide in the realm of Dungeons and Dragons. Emerson Show. It is three minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of five. And this, the month of April in the year of our Lord, 2009. Thank you for coming along and making it part of your listening day. My microphone processing sounds fantastic today. It sounds rich and full of life. It does. Please keep speaking. I'll keep speaking, Tim, and droning and babbling and gushing forth. Because the warm yet crisp timbre to my voice makes it all extremely palatable and pleasant. Uh, good morning to you. It is uh, Friday, and welcome to Day 12. It's 503-733-2970. We are here from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of Rock 101 KUFO in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. It's 503-733-2970. If you'd like to be um, a part of today's program. Speaking of my microphone, Sarah, can you sweeten my mic ever so slightly? Thank you. It's 503-733-2970. If you would like to join us today with your comments, questions, clarifications, ruminations, ponderings, amusements of an ironic nature, whatever it is uh, you might have today. It's 503-733-2970. Greg Nibbler is standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about whatever might be troubling your brain or tickling your fancy today. It's 503 503- 
733-2970. You can email if you'd prefer to engage with us that way in a binary fashion. It is rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at kufo.com. Tim at kufo.com. Or Nibbler at kufo.com. Uh, coming up today, CNN Radio correspondent James Roop will be joining us from Los Angeles today. Uh, we'll also talk to CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Uh, weighs in on the, I know, the economy and cars and pirates and so forth. Uh, we'll talk to Chris Paddock today, who I think is going to be calling us from the airport. Is that right? Yeah, either in Portland or wherever he's going. I, I think he's remember. going to Arizona or something. So I think, But I think he's at PDX. So I think his now. flight leaves at 6 a.m. and he's in Arizona at 8.30 so he's being probed and wanded as we speak. Or if he, you know, if he's going through that newfangled thing they've got, his genitals are being exposed to everybody around him. Who would want to think about that? Anywho, Chris Paddock will join us today with his five white songs ever recorded. I don't know what I just said. <laughs> Thank you. The five I think you weren't being a team player, Tim. Tim? I didn't mean it that way. You know, everybody's got to row in the same direction, Mr. Riley. Yeah. Uh, so Chris Paddock will weigh in. Uh, it is Friday. It is, as Paul Harvey used to say. Friday, Friday. Friday is my favorite day. Yeah, so. Let's all just be on the same page, shall we? Uh, so Chris Paddock will weigh in uh, from uh, PDX later on this morning. Uh, sometime in this hour, I believe, it is top five. We will wrap up the search for the whitest songs ever recorded with Chris Paddock's top five whitest songs this hour. Uh, Aaron Duran joins us later on. He will have the Geek in the City review of Observe and Report. He'll talk more uh, details on that Star Trek film that's coming up as well. Uh, Snuff Watch coming up today. Actually, held over from yesterday. We didn't get uh, to the Snuff Watch at the end of yesterday's program. So today we have a Snuff Watch coming up. Geek Watch coming up. And the final two pair of tickets to see uh, Pennywise as part of the Jägermeister Music Tour. They're coming to the Roseland April 14th. Uh, ladies and gentlemen. So we got the final two pair of tickets for that today. Don't forget, you must be 21 or over to qualify to win these tickets because if you, uh, to win the tickets because if you do, you are qualified to win the grand prize, which is a Jägermeister tap machine, a custom Jägermeister, uh, Jägermeister, Jägermeister guitar, a PV amplifier, and a JVC HD radio. So to be qualified for that grand prize, ye need only win a pair of tickets to see Pennywise. We were doing, uh, Final two pair of those today. So that's coming up today, today, today. Tim Riley is working on the following stories for your edification on this Friday. CBS News reports that Sea Cat did escape from the pirates by jumping from their boat, but he was quickly fished out and dragged back in. The driver who ran down a cyclist in Southeast will not go to jail. Joe's, otherwise known as G.I. Joe's, going out of business sale begins today, this after being bought out by a Boston liquidator. A Sherwood dog hit by a car is saved by mouth-to-snout resuscitation. Aw. Mm-hmm. Great story. A towing company will replace a Portland man's car after it was mistakenly crushed in a junkyard following a questionable towing. Uh, Bob Barker turns down a role in a pornographic movie. <laughs> Think about that. Levi Johnston, still on the talk show circuit, says he can't provide for his baby even without a job. Miley Cyrus claims she's overwhelmed by her popularity. And Mariah Carey twitters, she's up early and her two dogs aren't getting along. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I was that's the, fantastic. I was at the gym yesterday and saw Mariah Carey on uh, Rachel Ray. Mm-hmm. Holy God, that woman is medicated. Who? Uh, uh, Mariah Carey. Because really could be speaking about either of those. Honestly, she looks horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Well, I never thought... No, he- she looks all droopy and like she, uh, like, you know, there's a lag time between like her responding to any questions and kind of like... Well, when was the last time you saw Mariah Carey and she wasn't all doped up? Or it did not appear to be all doped up on something. 
I don't know. I guess I never really see her. Yeah, see, that's the, the, here's the thing about Mariah Carey. I would say that Mariah Carey is the blandest musical superstar we've ever had. Because I, I challenge anybody right now, without referring to the liner notes, to sing the hooks to more than three Mariah Carey songs. I mean, for somebody who's had like 75 number one hits or whatever it is, or some staggering amount of hits, there is almost nothing distinct about Mariah Carey as a person, as a singer, as a, a songwriter, which she allegedly is. It's just like she's completely surfaceless and, and textureless. It's, it's music with words. That's, I mean, that's the thing. There's just nothing. To me, there's never been anything that is sort of, uh, there's no adhesion to her. There's really nothing you can grab onto. And that goes for her music as well as her just sort of personally. She does seem like she came out of, she seems like she was extruded out of some Teflon line star making a machine somewhere. I remember seeing her being interviewed in, I don't know, God, the, the, I guess it would have been the mid-90s after she busted up with, uh, Tommy Mottola, the guy who ran or runs Sony Records, and Tabitha Soren, who at that point was she Tabitha was Soren. she was. If you remember Tabitha Soren on MTV, she was being groomed as the sort of heir apparent to Kurt Loder. And the thing is, I think Kurt Loder must have gotten wind of that and just had her whacked at some point because then she just vanished. You never saw her ass again. Oh yeah, because he's like, I'm never going away then. Well, Kurt Loder is very much Kurt Loder is to uh, MTV as Johnny Carson was to late night television. Because Kurt Loder, by the way, if you go to MTV.com, or in fact, I think if you actually watch MTV, Kurt Loder is still the senior news correspondent there, even though he's like a hundred times older than the target demographic of that network. I just, I don't think he must, I think when Kurt Loder got the gig on, on MTV, he must have just signed some contract for life. I mean, he must just have the, the job until he decides to quit, because he just persists year after year after year. And, um, but Tabitha Soren at one point was being thrown a lot of the high-profile interviews. And when Mariah Carey divorced the guy who was running her record company, and I'm sure her marriage to him, you know, was uh, happened on an entirely separate and coincidental plane from her uh, astonishing rise to the heights of the music charts. When she got a divorce, she went on MTV for this big supposed tell-all interview where Mariah Carey was going to spill her guts and kind of tell the whole story. And there was just... It was... She was like one of those... Um, she was like one of those Japanese uh, robots that they create that is supposed to mimic all the uh, emotions of a human being that they're gonna, that, you know that they put like in an old folks home to keep the people you know to keep the geezers company. But you look and you can just there's just something completely unemotional and plastic about it. And that's how Mariah Carey came across on MTV. So it does not surprise. And then she had that thing where she was remember when she went on TRL and she was pushing out like the snow cone thing and wearing hot pants. No, you did. This is, it was like, How long ago was like this? Like four years ago, she had that full-on breakdown on TV. She, I can't believe you don't remember that. She went out on TRL, and she was wearing hot pants and a tank top and, like, pushing an ice cream cart. And then later on that day, put some all-caps thing on her blog about... I'm not I don't crazy. Know, about chihuahuas and garden trowels or something. And then she went nuts, and then you never saw her again. Okay, during the break, I'm going to be looking that up on the YouTube. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, so does that mean she was actually replaced by someone else, and it wasn't public knowledge after that? Like a double? Do you mean... Uh, no, you know, she just vanished. And then that's when she came out with that. Because it was right around the time that Glitter movie bombed so badly. I mean, she had about five different implosions in a row, which is fantastic. And by the way, I love the idea that she's on with Rachel Ray, who herself looks like she's about gacked to the nines yeah, on Rachel antidepressants. Yeah, Rachel Ray was all, like, bloated and weird looking. Yeah. That's, you know that Rachel Ray goes home and she just takes out a caulking gun full of icing? Well, because her husband was the one who paid prostitutes okay. to, like... To spit on him. Yeah, to spit on him. Okay. You know she goes home and she just... She she does a full on uh, like Professor Clump uh, with uh, like cake batter right into her mouth. I mean, you know that Rachel Ray goes home and somebody just injects her full of lard. 
And then she goes, uh, and then she goes into Mr. Bathroom and takes care of that. That would just be my theory. But she's got crazy eyes, and she is the very embodiment of that John Bender monologue in The Breakfast Club about how some people are born fat, and then some people were once thin but became fat. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, she was once fat but became thin. You can tell. You can just tell by looking at her. And no matter how thin Rachel Ray is... And now she's Ray on is, her way back up that hill. <laughs> it's, well, you can just sort of see... Rachel Ray is sort of like... You know, like in the movies, you see people have a fat suit on? Rachel Ray has a thin suit on. And you can always see that the fat Rachel Ray is bursting at the seams, just trying to get out of that thing. So you just uh, you watch TV one of these days. It's gonna there's gonna be a whole there's gonna be a sound of like an unbuckling and unstitching, and then and then you look up and she'll be all uh, she'll be all Mister uh, Mister Creosote and whatnot. All right, uh, it's oh, by the way, speaking of pop stars, I got this pitch to us today. Guess who we could be interviewing? Who? Guess. Who will be interviewing? You always think that it's a good idea to guess, and it never is. I think that's a bad idea. David Hasselhoff. No. Speaking Pamela of, and I don't know. These are speaking of pop stars. Michael Jackson. No. Britney Spears. No. Justin Timberlake. You're guessing really poorly, even by your standards. <laughs> you said pop star. Give me a break. You said pop star. Ladies and gentlemen, Keith Sweat. Oh. Pop star, my ass. That's not a pop star. That is not a pop star. I'm guessing poorly. You're suggesting poorly. I'm just saying that we were given the opportunity. Listen to this now. Keith Sweat, now available to perform and appear at your radio station event. What did Keith Sweat sing? Uh, he sang that song, um, I Want Her. I Want Her. He had something else. What was the other one? And the other thing was that Make It Last Forever. Keith Sweat was sort of a... Not just a poor man's, but sort of a destitute and homeless man's Bobby Brown for a while. There was that sort of he was the uh, he was the unfortunate Cindy Lauper to Bobby Brown's Madonna, and then they both became uh, the unfortunate Cindy Lauper to like everybody else. So, but he is available. We could probably get him on the same bill as Timmy T. Sarah, I love me some Timmy T. <laughs> Straight ahead, we will talk to Chris Paddock. He'll count down his five whitest songs ever recorded. Later on, Aaron Duran will be here to review, observe, and report. Lisa Desjardins, Jim Roop. And your phone calls, ladies and gentlemen. It is the Rick Emerson Show. It is Friday. It's Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Good morning to you. It is Friday. It's 503-733-2970. Still ahead this morning, we have Tim Riley at the news desk. Later on, Jim Roop from CNN Radio Los Angeles. And Aaron Duran reviews Observe and Report. Uh, Without further ado, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from PDX International Airport, Gateway to the World. Uh, Chris Paddock, hello, sir. Good morning, everybody. How are you, my friend? Uh, I'm actually situated next to the white courtesy phone here at the airport. Is there Did actually a white security? courtesy phone? Yes, sir, there is. And so this is... Wait, have you already been wanded and probed and uh, padded oh, down? Oh, absolutely. I'm in, uh, I'm in the gated area, or they call it the gates, and uh, I saw the most bizarre thing. I saw a dude wearing an AIG Nike-sponsored jacket. Fantastic. And then I and I was like, I'm going to beat that guy up. And then he was holding a baby. <laughs> you Panic, mean, like you're going to beat somebody up. Come like, on. That's exactly what you want to see in the news, by the way. Is uh, you know, is, you know, CBS Radio uh, KUFO program director Chris Paddock said he didn't think it was a real baby. <laughs> or it was sort of like a like it was pulse. like that's the creepiest thing you've ever said. The man says he doesn't know why CBS Radio employee Chris Paddock was checking his baby's pulse. Police officers had Paddock in a room and were beating him senseless at press time. I thought I was on vacation. You you think it's sort of a flack baby? Like it's there just to sort of keep people from bothering him? Uh, It's it's the old Saturday Night Live stunt baby. It is the... uh, 
It is the uh, the babalistic equivalent of that uh, of that dummy that people use in Seattle so they can drive in the carpool lane. Yes, exactly. It's the, the patented AIG Protect Me Baby. All right, so, so we have this uh, top five that you changed at the last minute. Now, last night you threw in uh, kind of a uh, the, the final addition to this. You tweaked something. Are you, do you feel comfortable with this? I, I, I feel comfortable with it, although uh, last night I felt that I could have probably placed a few more tunes on here. Uh, but you know what? I think this is it because this is this really sort of sums me up in a lot of ways, too, because, as you said, this is a very Caucasian, ca- Caucasian list. It really is. So, uh, yeah. so on Tuesday, I did my five whitest songs. Sarah did it Wednesday. Yesterday, we had Tim Riley. Today, this, we, uh, we count on. This is Chris Paddock's five, top five four, whitest songs three, ever recorded. Two, one, fire. Counting is wonderful, counting is marvelous, counting's the best thing to do. Counting is happiness, counting is ecstasy, I love to count, don't you? All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, KUFO Program Director Chris Paddock counts down his five widest songs of all time. Tim Riley does the accompaniment, sir. Yes, Audible Legend goes to Sausalito, Summer Night by Diesel. Now... This song could have been mistaken as um, a Steve Miller song, and, and once the vocals kick in, you'll kind of understand. I had never heard this song until... Me? I have never heard this. It was like last week or earlier this week, Paddock comes by my office and he's like, hey, so uh, you know that band Diesel? And I said, no. And he said, do you know Steve Miller? And I said, yes. And he says, you know Diesel. That's right. And, and boy, this band is uh, the epitome of whiteness. Wow. This sounds like big old Jet Airline. It does. These are the most inane and idiotic lyrics as well. It's sort of like me if I were going, you know, here I am uh, counting down these white songs on my Bluetooth. um, (laughs) And I'm on my way to Scottsdale, Arizona. Are you doing it on an iPhone as well? I'm afraid so. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, Paddock. That's great. Be sure to stop by a pottery barn or something if you get a chance. Well, <laughs> I think a little later I'm going to order something online from Frontgate. <laughs> stop by and get one of those, uh, get like a back massaging thing that is done in like a sandstone uh, color from, from uh, you know, like the Brookstone store or whatever. You know, uh, when I found out this song was available on the iTunes store, I called up all my other white friends and let them know <laughs> that uh, Diesel is available on iTunes. Chris Paddock is currently... Chris Paddock is currently, uh, currently twittering the white community about the availability of, of, availability of Sausalito's summer. How life. old is Diesel's? Like, uh, this is 1981. I okay. remember playing, oh boy, this is going to throw me further into the Caucasian void here, uh, playing tennis at the Randolph Tennis Center in Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> Listening to the great CWFM. That's wonderful. Yeah. These are uh, the Cylon voice, by the way, for their uh, station voice. First Paddock's five whitest songs ever recorded. Tim Riley. Number five, the worst that could happen for the Brooklyn Bridge. Now, this song is just pathetic. Girl. I heard you're getting married. A guilt trip. I imagine Muppets singing, singing the backup on this song. I could see that. Yeah. This sounds like a really bad version of the Righteous Brothers. 
Yeah, it really is. It's like fourth generation Righteous Brothers. But boy, I'll tell you, when I uh, when I go to the karaoke bar, I kill it. You really, you deliver the goods? Oh, absolutely. This song, you bring it on home. And uh, frankly, I suggest to anybody who wants to um, just basically say no to a marriage, they should just get up in a church and sing this song. The song's bringing me down. Yeah, why don't we move on to something, uh, again, about the good times playing tennis These are, back uh, in 81. Chris Paddock's five widest songs of all time, Tim Riley. Number four, Did It in a Minute from Hall and Oates. It's got the Baywatch scent. It sounds like Adventures in Babysitting to me. It's like if Howard, uh, if Howard Jones just decided to write nothing but commercial jingles. <laughs> well, I think, I think this was originally written on a uh, Casio. Solo Flex is made for your active <laughs> lifestyle. Now, I think I saw a band in Worcester, Massachusetts, on YouTube covering this song. Worcester. <laughs> Whatever. I, I think I have food on the brain there, Tim Riley. That's okay. I know how Thank you feel. You. Yeah. Thoroughly. This has a real Billy Joel thing going on. Yeah, uh, most people thought it was a Billy Joel record when it came out, and then they realized, no, it's by two gentlemen, one who's about four foot tall and has the largest mustache known to man, John Oates. So what do you think of these songs so far, Sarah Dillon? I've never heard of any of them. Oh, well, that's great. <laughs> Welcome to my white world. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me into your Caucasian paradise. You're welcome. Think of me as Tom Sawyer, and I'm whitewashing you right now. I have to tell you this. Uh, like, if you were a Sim character, uh, like, your bland column would be a 10. I mean, really, it's... You've really done a sufficient amount of work to really to just, just nail that. Wow. This, yeah, These that's uh, Hall and Oates. Chris, Chris Paddock's five widest songs of all time. Tim Riley? Number three, like to get to know you, spanking our game. Now, imagine me walking through a Home Depot on a Sunday, and I hear this song. I can imagine that with astonishingly little difficulty, actually. Yeah, exactly. I'd like to get to know you. Yes, I would. But I'd like to get to know this is uh, I'm just picturing one of those uh, like one of those sessions presents greatest hits of the 80s or whatever. But it's like the couple on the bearskin rug in front of the fire. <laughs> no, they're they're walking along the beach and they just made an entire bonfire out of driftwood. These songs. And they're thinking about procreating. <laughs> these songs really bring out the animal in people. <laughs> yeah, uh, this this actually sounds like it was an outtake from uh, the Mystery Science Theater uh, classic Manos. Hands of Fate. Is this where, uh, is this the, the touching Torgo's theme? <laughs> well, this is a scene where the teenagers are making out and drinking cough syrup on the side of the road. Now, I'm trying to remember what commercial it was that I'm re referencing there. There was some, there was some like Silver Eagle Records presents greatest romantic hits of the whatever. <laughs> Pardon me, and it's this, this really, um, unbelievably white-looking couple. The guy looks like Stalin from Better Off Dead, the ski, the skiing dude. <laughs> and then the woman kind of looks like a really, really uninteresting version of Olivia Newton-John. And they're doing the whole, you know, cavalcade of songs, like sh scrolling along the screen, all the various hits that you get. And then they cut back to the couple on the bearskin rug, and she's literally like having to push him off of her because he's <laughs> well, been he so up on like, like the hooks have just the hooks have turned him on so much that he had to force himself on the woman <laughs> on camera. And she says these songs really bring out the animal in some people. <laughs> and then they go back to like Kenny Rogers singing the "Lady" animal? or something. <laughs> yes, well, these songs really bring out the sexual assaulter in some people. This makes me uh, want to 
feel uh, sexy. Uh, actually, I was thinking about this would be the, the Sessions Presents Arian Go Home. <laughs> These are Chris Paddock's five wider songs of all time. And number two, Brandy or a Fine Girl. Oh, Here's the go. looking glass. Nice. nice way to post up to the keyboard there, Tim Riley. You bet. Plenty of experience there. Aaron Rock 101 KUFO. Here's Looking Glass and Brandy are such a fine girl. Wow. <laughs> and that's without trying. Way to Geronimo that. Now, I definitely know this song. Yeah, I'm, uh, this is a, this isn't the top five, uh, karaoke jams for me. Did these, uh, the Looking Glass ever have any other hits? I don't think uh, so. I don't think they did. They're sort of very 70s. Oh, yeah, but, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, this is like, this is what, this is the kind of music that white people think is funky and soulful, and it's not. I know, that's to- that is a completely accurate assessment. This is like from Swingtown. This, no, you can totally, you, you can totally see, this is where, uh, it, like, one white person is attempting to have an awkward conversation with another white person about something that they believe to be, uh, you know, to sort of rich and textured, and they, that, no, 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 I'm a big fan of, uh, of R&B. I actually own a lot of soul music. People don't know that about me. I, uh... You know, if if you look at my iPod right now, you'll see uh, Looking Glass, Brandy. I mean, she is a fine girl. Yeah, this is like fourth generation spinners. I mean, I remember going out and buying that uh, Off the Wall record, and uh, it still holds up. And Brighter Side of Darkness, Love Jones, are you kidding me? These are people later on uh, when they feel that they really haven't graduated enough to pull, they, they pick up a Curtis Tigers CD. <laughs> All right. Yeah. This is it's been a long road here to number one because we did oh. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. It was myself, Sarah Dillon, Tim Riley, and Chris Paddock respectively. We are now at number one. Chris Paddock, what is the widest song ever recorded in your estimation? Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the money man, Eddie Money, and two tickets to paradise. I don't really know that I can disagree with this. Here's and the thing about this song, I recognize I realized this this morning as I was listening to it. I recognize the fact that this song has got a strong hook, but everything else in this song is terrible. Well, it, it, it's like he's trying to tell a story, and I'm not quite sure. I think he was in an alcoholic haze when he wrote these lyrics down, <laughs> possibly in some, like, dingy hotel room in Queens. And it's got the Maybe weird, like, like... single light bulb hanging from the ceiling. It's got, it's got all this, like, completely inappropriate, like, Graceland percussion here in the beginning, like like a guy's hitting a timpani or something in the background. Oh, they got timbalas on this record. Is that and, Don't you know? Yeah. I bought, I bought this LP from the RCA Record Club for one penny. You feel like you got your money's worth? Uh, no. I didn't. <laughs> I felt cheated, and then I felt kind of scummy because I was uh, eight, and uh, Eddie Money was smoking a cigarette on the cover, and I was like, oh, he smokes. He's dangerous. All right, here we go. This coming up in the big hook here. Yeah, I, feel like song, we're, uh, I feel like we're heading into a block party weekend or something with this. <laughs> this song, by the way, uh, makes every white man make that overbite guitar solo thing. Totally. Thanks. I do believe the video for this song, I think this is one of those 80s videos. You and I were actually talking about this when we were at the Creep Show uh, screening on Saturday. That It's one of those 80s videos where the guy is on stage and he's rocking out, but then he's performing to no one. 
Yeah, there is no one there. There's he's no in one. An empty room. It's like an empty auditorium, or like yeah. an empty. It's like a stage set up in the middle of like a, like a, like an airplane hangar somewhere, and there's no crowd at all. Uh, I well, interviewed. I'll tell you this: I was uh, just making that that bad white man. I'm rocking out face while I'm sitting here by the uh, vending machine. Are you doing that? To, are you doing that thing where you're kind of squinting a little bit to yourself and like kind of shaking your head back and forth real slow because you're yeah. feeling it? Yeah, and, and, and actually, somebody just gave me a dollar. So, Excellent. I think, I think they think I'm busky. On that note, Chris Paddock, though, he's got two tickets to Scottsdale. That's right. All Actually, right. Paradise Valley. All right. So, uh, on that note, well, uh, good list, my friend. I think this Thank is you a, very much. We've been up here. And to all, happy, happy weekend. All right. Travel Have safe. Have fun in Scottsdale. Thank you all. Same you, Chris Indeed, Paddock. I will, my friends. Right. UFO program director, Chris Paddock, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. I still think that. if you think I'm sexy, it's whiter. I don't know. I. This is vaguely rocking. Well, it is vaguely rocking. I'll give you that. <laughs> I don't think that can be disputed. The thing about this song is it's like a hook in search of stanzas because the, like this part is just completely uninteresting. You know what this is? This is an analogy I use a lot. This part right here, this is all like the brown stuff in the uh, Lucky Charms. You know, the, the amorphous brown crap? Like, what is the other stuff in Lucky Charms? Nobody knows. Here comes a marshmallow, though. And green hooks. See, you can't, you can't front on this. This is good mm, right here. It's good. This, I mean, it's fine. But clearly, he exhausted all of his creative ability on this like three car, uh, chord hook that he does here, and he has nothing else. I interviewed Eddie Money once, and it was like interviewing that Zoltar thing from from Big or whatever, where you put a quarter in and the thing comes to life and tells your fortune. He just sat slumped in front of the microphone, just. And I was afraid he was just going to, like, lose control of his, of his, you know, his digestive system in the studio. He just, he seemed so unbelievably out of it. And so we're getting ready to, to, uh, to do the interview, and they bring him into the studio, and he's just uh, kind of slouching in front of the microphone. He just reeks of, like, old-ass, like, cigarette smoke and just, just, just despair. <clears throat> and I was thinking to myself, this is going to be a terrible interview, and it's not going to be, you know, we... It's going to be awkward, and it's going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to ask him stuff, and he's just going to sound like that Steven Seagal thing where he's muttering everything. And it was the weirdest thing where as soon as I turned to the mic and I said, all right, let's uh, welcome to Rock 105. Uh, you, you all know him. He's got two tickets to Paradise tonight at the, uh, the Spokane Arena. It's Eddie Money. It was the weirdest thing. It was like somebody had uh, sort of turned on the power <laughs> in the Hall of Presidents, and he kind of went, Hey, ladies and gentlemen, Spokane, the money man. I mean, I'm going to rock you tonight. You're going to come out. I got two tickets to paradise. You can walk on water to see me. Yeah, the money man. And he, I mean, he was just. And just pulled it together? No, he did. But then as soon as I turned off the microphone, it was like, yeah, nah, nah, show's over. And then he just like slumped over again. He was like the Michigan J. Frog of bad white rock in Spokane. So there you go. The money man. Uh, I'll play us in the break here, uh, Sarah. Are we uh, are we going? Are we doing a are we doing a song from the hit parade here? We sure are. It's one that you like too. So on the other side, remind me to uh, to bring us back with something a little special. All right. So thanks to Chris Paddock for that. Straight ahead, we have Tim Riley at the news desk. Later on, Jim Roop, Aaron Duran uh, will join us from GeekInTheCity.com to review, observe, and report. Plus, Lisa Desjardins. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show. Now open your mind. Available anytime, anywhere. Open your mind. Visit KUFO.com right now.
It's the Rick Emerson Show. On Rock 101 KUFO. I love this song. This one's going out to Big Chris Paddock. Where do we figure out these guys were from? Texas? Did we agree? I think so. I think we I thought they were Canadian for some reason. The sheets are red and moist. This is the This is really the only musical tradition we have on this show, isn't it? I think so. So we have this and we have the birthday song. So if it's your birthday, you hear the birthday song. If you're flying somewhere, you get to hear uh, DOA by Blood Rock. with Tim Riley. A driver who ran down a bicyclist will not go to jail because he's found guilty by insanity. Back in August 2007, 49-year-old John Estweiler got into an argument with a bicyclist in Southeast. And in intentionally... Lad's Edition, right? Was it that guy? Huh? Oh, I'm sorry, in Lad's Edition. Sorry, I thought that was oh. the guy that, um, that was chasing people through Lad's Edition. Uh, does it say what part of Southeast it was? Yeah, I'm looking here uh... Because I'm kind of conflating that in my head with like nine other... Uh, yeah, this is one from 2007. So this is... Was 2007 the year that it seemed like... No, were, it was last year. That was that got crazy. Yeah, that was... What year was it? When was it that... Kind of it all drifts together in my head. When was the year that the guy ended up... The, the guy got hit by a car, claimed to get by a car, but it turned out that the, that the cyclist actually worked for the Department of Transportation and he was like attacking the car with his bicycle. That was, was that last, last year. summer? Yeah, and the year before was... Um, Lad's edition when there was a bicyclist going through a Lad's edition, this guy was just oh yeah like angry and he was trying to run him off the road. I do remember. Yeah. That. Okay, so that's this guy and mm-hmm. he's not guilty because he's nuts, right? Or he's guilty but nuts. So the bicyclist apparently started it by kicking this guy's SUV, which is wrong, but he shouldn't be run over. Uh, then the SUV driver follows him around the corner, hits him twice with the vehicle. He ends up with a broken nose finger, 30 stitches to the face. A second bicyclist, Tim Mestine, unintentionally pedaled into the path of the collision. He has several cuts and bruises. Now, this Eschweiler has a history of mental illness. At 19, records show he stabbed a co-worker in the face with a fork. And oh. at the age of 23, surgeons removed part of his brain. <laughs> Sorry, I have something in my throat. <laughs> it's laughter. <laughs> what do you mean they removed part of his brain? Like, like Rose Kennedy removed part of his brain? No, Rose Kennedy had most of her brain removed. This is only part of his brain. <laughs> this is just a, this, yeah. This is apparently enough of his brain to still be driving around. That's sort of like a Billy... That, that's the other thing. Why do they... If you remove part of your brain, shouldn't that... Shouldn't they be then removing all of your uh, legal ability to drive a car? I don't know if it says on your license, missing part of brain. Or, is that like or when or it says... Uh, that in records. It's like when they tell the cop, like, has scar below left eye, may have, uh, you know, may have missing tooth. I don't understand. What do you mean they removed part of his brain? Does the story just... Is just the, it just kind of says that just because. That doesn't sound like a journalistic uh, It says as 23 surgeons had removed parts of his brain. It sounds like they removed the wrong parts, uh, maybe, or just... Uh, or The parts that think. They, they, maybe they removed the parts that maybe I ought not run people down. Wait a minute. No, I should run people down right now. But this time he loses his driver's license for good, so he does get punished. Well, all right. Well, and if he breaks the rules, then... There'll be further consequences. But do you see, I, I hate to keep dwelling on this, but you see what I mean? Like, maybe the issue isn't that he's driving. Maybe the issue is that he has part of his brain missing. 
Because it seems like even in the lunchroom at his office where he didn't have access to a car, he had access to a fork and a guy's face. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like never the twain shall meet. It was like always shall the fork and the face meet. So apparently they felt he had enough of a brain to be driving. If he only How much had of a, a brain that requires, I don't know. If he only had a whole brain, Tim. All right. Well, there you go. Joe's Sports, probably G.I. Joe's, is going out of business. Hmm. This decision comes after bankruptcy hearing. A liquidator is buying the company and will sell all the merchandise right down to the bare shelves. A massive going out of business sale begins today at all 31 of the chain stores. Liquidator. I barely knew her. I'm totally going there this weekend. Elsewhere, Shriners, due to the financial hard times, may close six hospitals. They provided uh, free care since the Great Depression. They're considering closing a quarter of the facilities as donations stagnate, costs increase. And the charities endowment shrivels. I guess a lot of people aren't joining the Shriners anymore. I was going to make a joke about this, but I couldn't tell if it was actually, if the, if the, uh, uh, the factual underpinnings of the joke were correct. Here's the joke I was workshopping uh, this morning in my office. You were going to say something about... Shriners closing is that six hospitals like like just in this part of the country or all over? Let's see here. Uh, they have a budget for twenty two hospitals in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. All right, closing six of them. Yeah, closing six. And so, see, the joke I was going to make was something along the lines of they're closing six hospitals. The good news is all the staff can just be crammed down into one much smaller hospital. Because then I was thinking clown car, but then I realized a clown car and a Shriner car are two different things. I'm thinking of the Shriners, the guys with the fez Little that hats. are always in the parade. Right. These are the same Shriners. See, but does that work comedically to sort of conflate it with a clown car? Would that joke have, have uh, flown if I tried to do it? I suppose you could try it. But I mean, do you feel like... I mean, it could fail. You're taking your chances, obviously. But, but do you see what I mean? Like, is it like, is the sort of, is, uh, is the factual basis for that joke even accurate? I don't... They do drive in little cars in the parade. They it, do. See, so but is it a lot but of guys only, in a little car? No, it's just one guy in a little car. See, so there, I don't think it works. It's not like a, it's not like a Volkswagen full of clowns. Mm-hmm. See that if they've been closing a clown hospital somewhere, then I could have said. But the good news is all the staff will be crammed to an increasingly smaller number of cars, along with three dogs and a seltzer bottle, and then we do uh, weather or something. I never remember with Shriners. All right. Uh, meanwhile, Levi Johnson is still in the news. He oh, says geez. he can provide for the baby even though he's unemployed. I know I can be a good father, and I know I'm going to be. Can you provide for Trip? Yeah. Do you have a job? Not, not like a, like a ste- like steady job right now. No. So how can you provide for him? I'd find a way. Not a paying job, if that's what you mean. <laughs> meanwhile. All the smart people in the world aren't having kids. Well, why never uh, children? We, uh, <laughs> it was just a case that we were too busy. <laughs> really? I thought that was the answer. Well, put it this way, we just didn't get around to it. <laughs> Bob Barker. Is that Bob? That doesn't even sound like Bob Barker. Sure it does. That's cool. He didn't have any kids. No. I just, uh, well, I'm all for that, but I'm just saying, I like, if you had played, who is he being interviewed by there? It doesn't say. If I, if you had played that for me and if, if it oh, never told me today was, show. I don't think I would have identified. Can you you haven't heard again? him for a while. Yeah. Uh, he sounds like Bob Barker. Well, he sounds younger Why here never, than I would expect. Uh, children? We, uh, <laughs> it was just a case that we were too busy. <laughs> really? I thought that was the end. Well, put it this way. We just didn't get around to it. <laughs> there are a few edits there. Yeah, it just, no, he actually sounds better than I would think because mm-hmm. he, uh, I think maybe he had a little bit of a, he had a little bit of an affectation when he was doing The Price is Right, where he had kind of that, he put on sort of a folksy homespun kind of accent, where he said, now you're going to come up and you're going to play Plinko. 
Here, he has a much more neutral delivery, mm. and his voice sounds, I would say, 10 or 15 years younger. Anyway, so he never had kids. But he's not even married, though, is he? Well, he was at one time. Remember, his wife died, and that's when he had the affair with Oh, Ina. that's when he was like getting his grope oh, on mm-hmm. with Barker's Beauties. Yeah. I mean, and really, one of them. look, Bob Barker should be allowed to do whatever the hell he wants. If you're one of Barker's Beauties, that should just be understood. It should just come with the... Uh, it should just come with the gig, I would think. Occasionally, Bob Barker will grope you. Bob Barker could grope me. He can grope anybody he wants. He's Bob Barker. And as a tease, later on, we're going to find out Bob Barker being offered a role in a porno movie. Did he take it? We'll find out. Fantastic. I'll do one more here, and then straight ahead, we will uh, have uh, more news. Plus, uh, we will uh, talk to Jim Roop from Siena Radio Los Angeles, Aaron Duran, and so forth. This one will make you go, uh... A dog that was hit by a car, this happened in Sherwood, was brought back to life by a neighbor who quickly sprang into action to save the pooch. Uh, Timothy Durning heard the dog named Prince hit on Southeast Elwert Road, ran outside for help, but he thought it was too late. At that point, the dog had died in my arms, but Durling wasn't about to give up. He did the only thing he could think of. Mouth the snout. Resuscitation. You are entering full-on Paul Harvey territory with this story, I and I like it. Mm-hmm. I just wiped off his little nose a bit. His jaw was in my hand. I just closed his jaw, actually uh, stuck his whole snout in my mouth. It worked. Prince came back to life. And the dog's owner just can't thank him enough. And that is our heartwarming dog story for today. It's uh, the Rick Emerson Show. Straight ahead, we have more from Tim Riley. Jim Roop will join us from CNN Radio, Los Angeles. Aaron Duran has his review of Observe and Report. And your shot at Pennywise tickets April 14th at the Roseland. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Rock 101 KUFO. Father, can you... This is Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO Friday morning. Good morning to you. Oh, we got a follow-up story on the Billy Bob Thornton thing. So yesterday, he did this, or I guess two days ago, he did this uh, cringe-inducing interview with uh, like this DJ in Toronto, where he was just an ass. So we have somebody here who went to the show. Rick, this email says, uh, says about Billy Bob Thornton. I was at the show Wednesday night. Um, he opened for Willie again last night, and the crowd turned on him. But I can tell you Billy Bob's set was completely boring. He might as well have walked out on stage and just... Pleasured himself, as it was clearly a vanity project, living the dream. Then he was blown off the stage by a guy named Ray Price, who was 83 and near death. Um, he had the nerve, this is Billy Bob, he had the nerve to call the interviewer an a-hole last night on stage. Uh, what a prize. And he says, Wait, the uh, person on stage, so not just the radio guy? No, he was on stage. I do believe he was on stage and had the nerve to call the guy, uh, uh, you know, uh, this is the, uh, the DJ he was referring to. Says Billy Bob, this is from the uh, the star, the Toronto star. Billy Bob Thornton elicited boos and catcalls last night at Massey Hall as he attempted to explain his b- uh, bizarre behavior during an interview on CBC Radio Wednesday, referring to Gian Gomeshi, the host of CBC's Radio Q. The Oscar-winning actor-turned-musician interrupted his band three songs to give his side of the story, uh, and apparently the band just... Uh, Apparently, the band res- uh, the uh, the band responded by attempting to play a song to sort of uh, cut off his story. The audience then responded with boos, catcalls, and heckles, with some throwing items. That's fantastic. It's five zero three seven three three two nine seven. The Tim Riley is tracking the following stories on this Friday morning. An imposter is dressing up as a Comcast worker, breaking into homes in Lake Oswego and Southwest. President Obama is taking the heat for bowing to the Saudi king. Montel Williams ponders a political future. Vera Fawcett is released from an L.A. hospital, ready to go home to her crackpot family. Tory Spelling returns to 90210 next Tuesday. And Bob Barker turns down a role in a pornographic film. 
So Farrah Fawcett is returning back home to her crackpot family. Her son is just returning to crack. Returning to crack. Uh-oh. Because he's on drugs. Yes. One of those things. Whatever. Did I mention we could get Keith Sweat of the program if we like? Woo! Come yes. on! And I completely forgot that he did this as I should be ashamed of okay, myself. I need to like, look up a Keith Sweat song. Because, well, that's probably not true, but I forgot he did the song Make You Sweat. Uh, and then also uh, Merry Go Round, which is lesser known, but Make You Sweat is. is he did, uh, and also, I think he did, I, I'll Give All My Love to You. I'll or Give something. All My Love to You. That's what I was just looking at. Yeah. So we've. Keith Sweat is a Harlem-born R&B singer-songwriter who released his debut album, Make It Last Forever, Sarah, at the end of 1987. Um, also available for bookings, we've got here... Yes, tell me more. Who else do you suppose that they would uh, offer us along with Keith Sweat? I mean, it's from the same, it's from the same basic genre. I mean, we're talking, this is the, uh, this is the urban-slash-R&B side of the guest booking mm, world. Jodeci? I received this unsolicited in my email uh, yesterday because as we sort of book more and more people... We get, you know, the deal is that the you know the PR people or their agents you know you kind of go into a Rolodex and then as uh, you know they have other projects or people are going on tour they got some record or book they're putting out then they just sort of barrage the entire country with hey would you like to interview uh, Grandpa Al Lewis I mean which probably isn't possible anymore but um, what about Brian McKnight no no but that's a good guess along with Keith Sweat we've been offered Bobby Brown Johnny Gill and is it, it I never knew this is it Ralph Trevant Tresvant I don't know. Trees Vaunt? You know, they, they 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 were sort of like a power trio of R and B singers. Ralph Trevant? I think it's Trevant. It's T R E S V A N T. I think I missed playing his songs by just like six months when I was at CHR. Here we we could also talk to Heavy D of Heavy D and the Boys, Sarah. Um and if we like, we could talk to somebody who was let's say backup dancer for MC Hammer. Which itself seems so bad that it might actually be fascinating. That's so sad that that was like 20 years ago and that's all they've done with their lives. What would you do? Well, I... Uh, 20 years ago, I danced behind a guy wearing parachute pants. You know, you know, it, would, it would be... Here's what it would be like. It would be like interviewing that guy. And I think this has actually been done. I think I think like um, Craig Kilborn or somebody did this, where they tracked down the guy from the Beat It video and everybody from the 80s who will know exactly to whom I'm referring here. They tracked down the guy from the Jackson Beat It video that was just... He's the guy that vibrates. You know what I mean? He he does like this weird sort of stuttering, vibrating thing, which I think there was a small window of time when any sort of spasmodic body motion passed for breakdancing. Like you could sort of, you could feign that it was some sort of a stylized move that you yourself had come up with. But really, it just looked like he was having an epileptic fit of some kind, but hadn't been able to fall down. And I think Kilborn tracked him down and was taking him out on the street and actually having people try to guess who he was. And they go, I, I don't know. And then he would go, and he would shake back and forth in place. And they go, you're the jittery guy from the Beat It video. Which, I mean, I suppose if one has the choice between being fully anonymous for the rest of your life or being that guy, you could be that guy. But the backup dancer for MC Hammer is just, that's, that's unfortunate. Sad. Because that's the thing where, like in the press kit, you know they'll send you the blurry screen capture for the video. And where it's like he's, you know, he's got the John Madden circling pen uh, sort of highlighting him in the mm-hmm. background. Oh, speaking of interviews, though, you guys, uh, you talked to X <gasps> Yes, we interviewed yesterday. X. It's actually in this studio. You and Lisa Wood interviewed punk band X. Oh, my God. So I thought it was just going to be like Xene or John Doe. No, it was all four of them. Full band. It was the full band. And they were all, you know, super rock star looking. They showed up a half an hour early. So we were still preparing because they were supposed to be here at noon. They showed up at 1130. Um, what it was a cool. rock band shows up early? I know, right? <laughs> a responsible one. Uh, it was cool and scary. And they're just, you know, so epic. And you gave me that question about... Um, 
Less than zero. I prepared. So this is Sarah and I were talking yesterday because the we knew the band X was going to be coming in, and that's going to get played back this coming Sunday night uh, on the Punk Show, which airs seven the night on uh, seven the night on KUFO. Um, and so Sarah was, you know, we we're trying to come up with you know, my, you know, it's my whole thing. If you don't want to be the jackass DJ who's just asking, so do you like to rock? Uh, you know, there's a bunch of questions they've heard before. You know, are you a fan of the Beatles or whatever? Just you know, the same sort of gibberish that they always get asked. And so I'm kind of brainstorming with Sarah, and I'm trying to help her come up with some, you know, questions that are a little uh, unconventional. And I think of what I, you know, what I believed at the time to be a really great question. It was a good question. <laughs> Did it make them uncomfortable? Because I referenced the book Less Than Zero by Brett Easton Ellis, and the very, which is a very controversial novel uh, in in its day, kind of you know a little tamer now if you read it. But when it came out, it was sort of you know it's considered very groundbreaking. And it turns out he was on crystal meth when he wrote it, which explains like a whole lot. But the very last thing that the main character in Less Than Zero says, the final paragraph of the final page, he talks about hearing this song by the band X called Los Angeles, which is just, you know, about the city of Los Angeles. And how it's the song that paints a picture of the city where everybody is traumatized and shallow and, uh, you know, and how Los Angeles is a city that strips away your humanity. All of those things are true, by the way. Mm-hmm. And he says that I thought about that song for a long time after I left. And that's the final line of the book. I'm like, you should totally bring up less than zero. I bet they love that. Do they, in fact, love that, Sarah? Um, I could say not so much. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I'm talking to John Doe about it, and I'm like, oh, so you know, you, you know, this book that I really like, less than zero, blah blah blah. He's like, the first thing out of his, I'm like, you know, you guys were in the last pages of it. You know, how did you feel being, you know, published in a book like that, blah blah. blah. And he just looks at me, he's like, I hated that book. Fantastic. <laughs> and then talked about how vapid he thought all the characters were, and That's then how right. he thought the movie. Uh, I think he said he thought the movie was better. I can't remember. Did the uh, did the room uh, have a sort of awkward vibe to it? It after was. That? He was he was very um, not confront- Yes, not confrontational, but very sure of himself. And what he was always sure of was completely opposite of what everybody else was. Yes. So that that can be a little uh, that can be a little tricky when you're. It- well, he was he was intimidating. Well, I mean, it's it, he was very intimidating, and like he just seemed yeah, he seemed a little prickly to be prickly. But well, at the same time, he seemed really cool. And it, guys like that that come up, you know, because X is one of those bands that, I mean, they have a big legacy and a lot of people know who they are, but they're not, you know, they, they had a pretty hard road of it, though, because they never really had a lot of, it's not like they had a lot of pop hits or anything. They mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of mainstream success, really, in the strictest sense of the word. So I think they've got to, they, they must be pretty battle uh, hardened at this point, which I think gives you a certain sort of, I've interviewed guys like that before, like Henry Rollins is that way. Yeah. You know, but you, you get that, you know, he does have that sort of, um, Sort of very, um, it's like a lot of surface politeness, but it's tense because there's all of this sort of, there's a lot like of- a, Like a toleration? There's, there's like an aggression and like a barely restrained hostility lurking just underneath the epidermal layer. Yeah. And you, th- those interviews can be a little weird because you feel like you're kind of walking on thin ice the whole time and you never know when you're going to ask the one question where he's either going to walk out or he's going to go all Billy Bob Thornton on you, or whether he's just, like in the case of Rollins, where he's just going to punch you in the face or something. Yeah, it can be a little nerve-wracking. Because Lisa and I divided up the questions, you know, so then I asked him about his acting career as well. And so I'm like, You were you in know, Boogie Nights. I know. I said, well, I told him, I'm like, I'm a big fan of Boogie Nights, you know, and you were in blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know, was acting, this is the question we went over, you and I did. Um, it's like, you know, were you, like, did you just fall into acting? Is it something you want to pursue? And he's like... I hate acting. <laughs> I, he's like, I, I, I despise it now. Everyone's so fake and just like, like with this intense eye contact and like he's reprimanding me for all of like the scorn that he's gone through. There's nothing better than at least inter- he didn't say you were told not to ask me about my acting. <laughs> Seriously, what is it? Your producer instructed never to bring that up, jackass. 
Uh, I know, and I felt, and I'd heard how cool he was, and so like that was, and then that was the extra pressure because I'm like, this guy's. Sometimes you just get people. I, I mean, it I think we like, got him on the wrong. And then like he was in the hallway, like making fun of like there was a Slipknot poster in the hallway, and he's just like, yeah, yeah, we're at this radio station. Yeah, I see there's that. a. I see a Slipknot poster. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing here. And we're like sitting there like, uh, uh, we're right over here. Or not? I can hear you talking. Never mind. <laughs> well, that sounds like a compelling interview, Sarah Dillon. <laughs> it is. You can hear the awkwardness. Like, wait until you hear the moment of silence after I asked that great less than zero question. All of a sudden, it's like crickets. And he's like, yeah, I hated that book. Who can suck it's the vapid, air like out today. of a room? Yeah. All right. That'll uh, be this coming Sunday, uh, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. You'll be able to hear uh, the interview with X on the punk show. With Sarah Dillon and uh, he said, well, that's but Exine was really cool. Did you and Twitter everybody you knew about it? I just, I, I don't know. I think I wrote something. Like, Have you Twittered anything since we had the discussion yesterday on the show? Um, Today, like a minute before the show, I wrote, starting the show in one minute. <laughs> Happy Friday. Really? I did. Okay. Well, because after yesterday, I'm sorry. Now I have there are 81 people following me, and I feel like I have to give something because people have written me things, and I don't know how to write anybody back. Still, I'll actually, I've, I've been trying to figure out how to write people back. I can't. I'll actually say this: that after uh, we had this, this whole, I was going to say this whole discussion, but really just this long tumbling debacle yesterday with Twitter and the fact that Sarah and I are sort of prematurely old and couldn't figure out how to work it, I, and in fact, still can't. can't. Yeah, we can't. And that I was getting emails from people who I know are like twice my age. You know, hello, I am a 74-year-old grandmother. I've been using Twitter for three months. You are a retard. No, and all those people write like the at things. Like, I don't know how to write back to somebody when they're like at Sarah X Dillon. So having set it up now, I feel compelled to, to be sharing my uh, so-called thoughts with people. See? But I really have no idea what thoughts... And then do you do this? Have you started doing uh, this with the Twitter thing where you're unclear of exactly what level of importance qualifies as Twitter worthy? Mm-hmm. In other words, I guess if it was, it was like some actual breaking news, you would share that. But it seems like a thing that lends itself to maybe um, to lighthearted observations or maybe news of a sort of, um, you know, news of a maybe incidental nature. But then you read like the guy like, I just made a cup of coffee. I'm picking lint out of my navel. Mm-hmm. I'm staring at a wall, still staring at a wall, wondering when the mail will get here, because I have already started to see some, you know, some people who do that where it's about every night. You know who does that is Brent Spiner from Star Trek: The Next Generation. Let me just <laughs> have you started this. following no, him? No, no. Here's the thing. Here's the thing with Brent Spiner and his Twitter account is that when I signed up for Twitter yesterday, if you don't. You uh, and I signed you up for Twitter. <laughs> if, if you don't tell it not to do this, it automatically assigns 20 people to your account that you start getting their Twitter feeds just so you can kind of have something coming in and you can sort of see it. And one of the people that I that I got assigned to me, I got uh, uh, Ryan Seacrest, of course, uh, and then Brent Spiner, who was data on Star Trek The Next Generation. I got him assigned to me as well. So I logged it, in the, which is kind of cool. You, you know, the first time you go there, it's like having email or something waiting for you. The first time you go in... I've got all this uh, stuff from Brent Spiner. Uh, Bobby Fatboy from uh, Court and Fatboy stopped by my office yesterday. And we were talking about you know, the, the Twitter and how I'd finally kind of you know been dragged into the 21st century uh, yesterday. And I told him that I actually had to unsubscribe. After just like an hour and a half, I had to unsubscribe from Brent Spiner's Twitter account because it was the most depressing thing I'd ever read in my life. It was a whole Oh, my lot. God. I'm looking at it now. Yelling and crying from next door. Two women. Interesting oh, character dude. studies. No, no, no. He's, when we come back. I'll do this uh, maybe before the bottom of the hour. I will read some of Brent Spiner's uh, Twitter updates. It really is just, it's like looking into the abyss. I mean, it is, uh, it, as um, as Lance Henriksen would say on Millennium, it's like looking into the eyes of the monster late at night as you're hinging on the cusp of midnight and everything you know is covered in dirt. I mean, it, I just, 
I got about four Twitters deep into Brent Spiner yesterday, and I was just like, that's it. I can. That sounds dirty. I got I, four Twitters deep into I, Brent Spiner. I, like, I said, I can't read any more of these. Oh, oh, and then, and then I will tell you about Susan Reynolds, her kid, and Twitter. Okay. Because we talked about this after the show yesterday, so that's coming up. Uh, we will also have seen a radio correspondent, Lisa Desjardins, in mere uh, minutes. Uh, later on, Aaron Duran reviews, observe, and report. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show returns. Where's that gay porn that I left in here? This is Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Good morning to you. Uh, before the end of this hour, we'll be giving away another tear of uh, tickets to see Pennywise as part of the Jägermeister Music Tour. That's coming up sometime before 7 o'clock. Later on in the program, pardon me, I don't know what the hell my uh, deal is. I've got the... Well, it's gross in here. A little bit of dust in here. I One second. asbestos. <clears throat> All right. There you go. At least our lungs are fireproof, Sarah. Uh, Aaron Duran from GeekInTheCity.com will join us later on. He'll review, observe, uh, and report. We've got a uh, Geek Watch on the way. Snuff Watch as well. This, however, from CNN Radio is Lisa Desjardins, correspondent from The Hill. Hello, Lisa Desjardins. How are you today? Hello, hello. All right. How are things? How's life? Yes? Hi, yes. How are you today? Hi, I'm good. I'm sorry. There was a little bit of weirdness on the phone there. I couldn't quite... uh, I'm oh, sorry. Out. I was very excited to talk to you. That's really, you sound now over- I've restrained myself, and I'm, I'm getting more in sync. You sound overflowing with exuberance. How would you say you are on the classic one to five scale this morning? I'd say uh, a four. Let me ask you on a scale of one to nine, how much Barack Obama expected to be dealing with pirates early in his administration? Yeah, would you I- say that was a thing that was on his radar at all in any way? No, I'd go, I'd go one or two on that, yeah. No. Uh, so he's got, I mean, it's such a weird confluence of issues. He's got the economy to deal with and, you know, uh, the pirates, and then North Korea either launching or not launching something either into space or, like, across the street, depending on which version of the story uh, you believe. So it seems like he's, uh, he's spending a lot of uh, big, high-profile plates at the moment. Right, and I feel like this pirate thing, it is the subplot from West Wing that you never really believed. You're kind of like, I don't know. I don't that, know if that would really happen. That is completely accurate. It'd be like one of those, uh, well, it appears that there's been some uprising in the Confederated States of Micronesia. Right, exactly This right. is clearly like based in some Wikipedia footnote that Aaron Sorkin read and then decided to fashion into about 20% of the episode. You're completely right about that. Exactly. The hurricane approaching the Navy cargo ship. Completely. Yeah. Uh, so I don't even know how this, uh, how how we dive into this, except to say that right. I think I was talking to Dick Giuliano about this, and I referenced sort of Clinton, who I think also eh, Bill Clinton bombed Somalia or sent missiles into Somalia or something at some point. Be- he sent troops. That's right. He sent troops. Troops because troops and missiles. That's right. And there was all this speculation that it was because he was a Democrat and perceived to be weak on defense and a mm-hmm. relatively new president and whatever. If you were going to uh, decide to provoke a country, I wouldn't necessarily be picking the United States, especially when you got a new president who might also be perceived as soft on certain things. Because uh, it seems like that's almost that's just that's just begging for a beatdown is what that is. Although remember, you know that when Bill Clinton did go after uh, Somalia, it did not turn out well, and you know, it, and it kind of, it was kind of one of his more uh, probably probably his largest military disaster as president. So you know, Somalia. Somal, I think I think Somalia in particular has a very you know hot potato kind of feel in Washington. People are very nervous about about that particular country. Lots of weapons, lots of insurgent and terrorist groups, 
very unstable government. And, and yeah, very, very sketchy, very, very tricky place for U.S. forces. And, you know, you can kind of tell because we've got a Navy warship next to a raft. And, and so far, uh, we're just sitting there with the, with the warship. And I think after a certain point, the kind of, you know, let's kick some butt American mentality might, might kick in here and be a little, wait, why, why are we just sitting there? Though they're, they're clearly trying to save this man's life and they don't know what the deal is with these uh, pirates, these pirates. Uh, it, you know, it's a very tricky situation, but we do have a U.S. destroyer next to a life. I mean, that was my thing. It's, it's like they're basically floating next to Tom Hanks in uh, in Castaway. Right. You know what I mean? Right. A much more high tech version, but yeah. Uh, and so it it reminds me of um, uh, when there was you know we were going to uh, going into Afghanistan initially, not to make light of it, but they were showing there's only this footage of like you know the Taliban warlords, and it's like these and you know and it's it's like a Planet of the Apes thing. It's like a guy carrying a pointed stick on the back of a donkey or something. And I remember thinking to myself like. Can we just do? Can we solve this from home? Like, uh, can we just right. like some remote control something or other that we can just sort of hose that whole place out? So, right. am I the only one that's like, can't we get some divers to go under the boat and put a hole in the boat? And you know, <laughs> it, it doesn't really seem like Why it. Why don't takes... they offer them tickets to see Britney Spears? <laughs> right, or the finale of American Idol, which is um, a potential prize if you want to donate money to Hillary Clinton. And really, is that true? That is true. That just came out yesterday. Does it seem like we're having sort of a pirate bell curve, though? In other words, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like yes. you know, way back when, there were pirates sort of roaming the seas everywhere and causing discord and chaos. Then, for a long time, no pirates. And then within, like, the last year, pirates everywhere. Pirates. So It's a pirate explosion. But, I mean, what, what has changed that has suddenly resulted in this influx of high-profile piracy? You know, I think I think there's just been a realization in that one corner of Africa that they could do it, and that and I think what what's changed probably the most is that more companies over the last year and a half have given ransom to these pirates, and the ransoms have been a million dollars, two million dollars, and I think you know once once companies started paying up, then people said, oh, you know, I'm in, I'm I'm in on this piracy deal because people are making money at it. So is this going to be one of those things where like when the uh... I don't know, like when the like when the right said Fred, uh, you know, cruise line or something, uh, it decides you know to go to you know to go to Jamaica or something. They're going to have to start carrying uh, firearms and a belt-fed M60 mounted to the back of the boat. Is right, it, right, or it'd be some kind of like uh, maritime convoy. I mean, like the the next step from the next step from sort of confronting military ships or confronting ships that have any you know sort of military personnel on would the, the the next step to ratchet up to would be uh, a civilian boat of some kind right you would think yeah and in fact actually a french cruise ship was attacked uh last year and and it, i believe that was a, a really lengthy hostage ordeal and the company ended up paying up uh, the french government didn't want them to but the company mm. ended up paying yeah it, and it it ha- it's gotten worse and i think part of the problem too for all of the you know world forces of the Justice League is that uh, it's such a huge area. You know the area of, of that we're talking about. A lot of people like to use this. It's it is about two times the size of the state of Texas, oh. and you really don't have that many you know uh, any kind of allied uh, warships you know blockading that area. It's just a huge, huge ocean area uh, that ship that ships travel through frequently. Did you see this thing about the White House being attacked by bees? No, I haven't seen that, really. Tim Riley just handed this to me. This is from the Metro News Source. The White House grounds came under aerial attack yesterday by a swarm of bees. Honeybees took up residence in a bush between a security gate and the area where television correspondents do their stand-ups outside the no. West Wing. According to 
CNN. White House carpenter Charlie Brant's boxed up most of the bees, including the queen. He is also a beekeeper and is in charge of two beehives placed in the White House Vegetable Garden. Oh, wow. First of all, who knew that the White House Vegetable Garden would just be... Why would you proactively place hordes of bees there? That seems that seems like a Nixonian thing. There's something that like Ron Ziegler had put in just to get rid of uh, journalists at some point. Like if they uh, like if they if they become difficult, you know, it's sort of a release the hounds kind of a deal. But it's more right. like a release the bees. Push the button. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, but you want the honeybees by the, the cross pollination. You want you want the honeybees near your near your garden. Well, I suppose. All right. I don't. I don't know if you need a swarm of them as it's of attack. Bees, is there a, like the White House may have. Is there anything else about which I need to be terrified or from which I need to be hiding today? Uh, wildfires and tornadoes. Just like today specifically, or is that just sort of good life advice? That's good. Well, it's both. It's both. But you know, for uh, you know, for your listeners in or who may be traveling to Oklahoma, lots of wildfires and tornado. Well, who doesn't problems. want to travel to Oklahoma? At least I'd say that's. I'd say really that's uh, job number one. Everybody's relaxation list. <laughs> Get me to Oklahoma today. Right. Well, I've never been to Oklahoma, so it kind of has a, you know, it, it might be more exotic than we think. Oh, I was just going to say, please tell me it has sort of an exotic flavor in your it mind. Does, in my mind, it does. Let me just uh, skip to the bottom of the page. It doesn't. And, I, and let me tell you right now, I've never been there. I am completely confident judging that book by its unbelievably dull cover. There's oh. probably nothing you need to see there. And anything worthwhile in Oklahoma seems like, by definition, they'll pick it up and they'll move it somewhere better eventually. And you go after us for having an East Coast bias. Ah, uh, look, I, look, we can all. There's just certain things upon which we can all agree. Uh, nobody wants to spend the rest of their life in Oklahoma. If, wow. you, were, if you were told right now that look, uh, we're going to be transferring you to the uh, <laughs> to the very hurly burly Oklahoma branch, Lisa, it's a big step forward. Don't look at this as a lateral move. This is really a chance for you to break away from the pack. Uh, you would uh, you would instinctively know that that's deception. I guess, and you're probably right, even if of all the states in the union, I can say that Montana would definitely come before Oklahoma, yeah. and I'm thinking of a lot of other states that probably, for where I would want to move. Final thought on this. But, there's, there's, but it's, it's, not the, it's not the worst state in the country. No, but you know what is the worst state in the country in, terms of, in terms of mental outlook, psychological health, and uh, happiness related to the economy? Oregon is dead freaking last after uh, all the other stuff. We are 51st because we are actually below the District of Columbia as well. What? How, you're be- Come on. How is that possible? You're below the... the that was what the I asked, franchise? and there was really there was no plausible explanation given, but that was my first uh, query to Tim Riley after he read this story, which did come from the Metro Nurse Service. Uh, they said that we were absolute freaking last. So there you go. So Washington, oh. D.C. is better than us in some small regard. Jeez, I, and that I, regard like I, is happiness. I want to send you guys some chocolate or something. Well, that would help. Maybe, uh, you know, that or some sort of a pork product. It'd be a short-term solution. Right. I don't know. Enjoy your weekend. Okay, uh, And great. we will speak with you next week. There you go. CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic. All right. Straight ahead, more from Tim Riley coming up uh, later on in the program. We will talk to Jim Roop from Los Angeles, as well as Aaron Duran from geekinthecity.com. And before the top of the hour, you're uh, shot at a pair of tickets to see Pennywise as part of the Jägermeister Music Tour, April 14th. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show returns. This is Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Good morning to you. It is Friday. It's 503-733-2970. Coming up in the next hour, 
CNN Radio correspondent James Roop will join us from Los Angeles. Uh, the 8 o'clock hour, Aaron Duran from geekinthecity.com will be here to review, observe, and report. And we'll also talk about the new uh, Star Trek film. And we've got a pair of tickets to see Pennywise as part of the Jägermeister Music Tour coming up before the top of the hour. Ladies and gentlemen, at the news desk, your personal savior, Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. All righty. A Tualatin company said they want to hire 175 people to help iPhone customers. This is Affiliated Computer Services. They made the announcement as part of their plan to eventually hire 600 people at three different locations nationwide. They say they're taking applications right now and will be hiring as soon as possible. You can walk in or apply online. That's Allied Computer Services of Tualatin. Well, this is kind of too bad. So this guy, who the towing company thought was parked illegally but wasn't, tows his car away. He went. He uh, tries to get it back, but it's too late. The junkyard crushes it. So, where was this at? Here. Oh wow. Yeah. What, what do you mean here? Like you're here? Yeah, just he in parked Portland his uh, Ford Tempo at the Orient parking lot, the restaurant, because it wouldn't start. He got the okay from the tenant to park overnight. Where is this? Where is that at? Uh, I I don't know. The Orient parking lot. Oh, isn't that that's on uh, Broadway? Broadway and I mean, is it? In, it's, it's on. It's on Broadway. It's a restaurant. Broadway and what? I mean, is this in I, southeast? No, no. Uh, it's in northeast. Oh, in northeast. Okay, but yeah. it's the it's the Broadway like uh, like where northeast like Fred Broadway. Meyer would be and where yeah. like the, toward the Hollywood Theater. Yes. Yes. Okay, so he's parked in the parking lot. His Ford Temple wouldn't start. He gets the permission of the restaurant. Yeah. So the next morning he comes to get it, and it turned out that Sergeant's towing it towed his car. Well. He was supposed to pay a small fee to get his car back. The only problem was the towing company had already demolished it. I don't understand. How Why would the towing, towing company, company be demolishing yeah. your car? Well, they brought it to the junkyard, which crushed the car. No, but that doesn't, okay, but that makes no sense at all. A towing company doesn't crush your car. A towing company impounds your car. Right. But wherever they brought it to, it was crushed. But how would... I mean, it, it was possible, and it did happen. <laughs> no, I'm not just... Whether you agree with it or not. I, I, I am giving you the facts. I'm not challenging the veracity of your news. I Far be it for me to say that the CBS uh, news department would ever uh, report something that isn't true. <laughs> Ten, rather. <clears throat> but it does seem to me like that's... I'm just... I'm having trouble wrapping my brain around how this happened. So was it a... Car... Was, I was going to ask if this was a mix. Temple. I was going to ask if this is some sort of a mix-up, and it sounds like it probably was. But how yes, would you? This even, is a mix-up. But how would you even confuse the two things? I'm not asking uh, you, you to necessarily speak to how the towing company operates, but I'm trying to figure out. It seems like those are two very different things. There's crushing the car, and there's not crushing the car. I would imagine there would be a system of checks and balances to prevent a car from being smashed into a small cube without proper cause. So perhaps they own a junkyard of sorts. Sergeant's towing. I don't know that for a fact. I, I'm not familiar with There's Sergeant so much Sowing. I don't understand! <laughs> do you have the story? I do. Can you hand that to me? You can read the whole thing yourself. I have to investigate further. Th- there's no more to it than I told you. <laughs> it, I, don't mean to, uh, I don't mean to sound as though... Uh, I think you might be frustrating Tim a little. <laughs> I don't mean to sound as though I'm thick. I'm just trying to understand where, th- where the mix-up would happen. Cars are brought to junkyard. Okay, but no, but no, but no, 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 no,
a car is taken to an impound lot, which is not the same thing as a junkyard. A junkyard is where they take some crap that doesn't run anymore and has no wheels, and there's it's an engine that's missing, and the car blew up 20 years ago. Yes. And they they found it in a ditch. Mm. An impound lot. Because look, look, well, do so, we know if it's an impound or a junkyard, or if it has a junkyard in the impound? See, that's my thing. So I'm yeah. trying to figure out why it would have been taken to a junkyard. Don't get me wrong. I've had cars uh, towed and impounded many oh, times. I have too, many, too. many times. Yeah. So, I mean, an impound lot, I mean, that's sort of like, the, that's the difference between taking it to a pawn shop and taking it to a landfill. Mm. I mean, There's just two different things. Now, what's the name of the tow Tim's place? all unconvinced of the whole thing. Uh, I just don't care enough, I guess. I absolutely care. This is fascinating to me. Anything that involves a car being smashed into a tiny... Have you ever seen a car after it's been after it's been crushed? Uh-huh. Yes, many can. I mean, it's a cube, like, I mean, uh, maybe a few feet by a few feet. I mean, it's impressive. Mm-hmm. That really is a... Uh, that's a feat of engineering and technology. I used to live in St. John's. You see them go by every five minutes. I'm not <laughs> amazed by crushed cars like you are. Just a... Uh, just a conveyor belt of small metal boxes. So you used to crush cars. We used to stolen cars. Yeah, in sit Southeast. there for five minutes more. It'll go by in a big dump truck. <laughs> I, I can see. The best part is in the story here. He actually says it's a big bummer. <laughs> says the uh, says the owner of the vehicle. Um, a Portland man says his car was totally illegally before he got it back. It was sent through a wrecking yard and destroyed. The car owner, Gary uh, Bushnell, says the last month and a half he's been working on his appeal to get his car back from Sergeant's towing. Ah, okay. So this was the problem. Here's the problem. It was impounded a month and a half ago. Yeah. And after a month and a half, if it's not claimed, they destroy it. That's correct. Okay. So it's not, see, I was under the impression that they had somehow towed it and taken it directly to the wrecking yard, like without passing go. No. Sort of a, and any car left here in our lot will be reduced to the size of a small microwave within 15 minutes. So (laughs) don't let that happen. No, they right. That does make sense. All right. He says he knew he was in the right. The city uh, because he had permission to leave the car in a lot. He filed an appeal with the city and won. He was supposed to pay a small fee and get his car back. The only problem was the towing company had already crushed it. He says my car is my only way of transportation and living out here. He says I don't have any other way of getting anywhere. It's a big bummer. He says Sergeant Towing realized its mistake and is now going to provide him with a car similar to his, which he'll pick up Thursday. They ought to give him the other car that was like sort of a bonus. You know what I mean? Like like those stories where they inadvertently cut off the wrong uh, limb or they take out the wrong kidney or something. I think you still ought to get that back. They ought to encase it in loose sight and give it to you as some sort of a uh, a keepsake or an heirloom. All right. Well, there you go. And uh, so I guess they towed it to a place in um, they towed it to a place in Vancouver. That doesn't help matters. No, Vancouver Avenue. It says, oh, it's not in Vancouver, Washington. They didn't tow no, it. No, like, it says North Vancouver <laughs> Avenue. They didn't tow it to another state. Boy. Just the idea that the idea that your car would vanish and then it would just sit there for six weeks and every single day you see the guy ed- you know like edging it closer and closer to the machine that just reduces everything to a singularity. I keep picturing that uh, that sequence from National Lampoon's Vacation where the uh, no we'll get your car back out here any second, Mister Griswold, and then you just see like the big like <laughs> smashing happening. All right, here's Tim Riley. Jennifer Anderson made twenty seven million dollars last year. That from Parade Magazine. Holy God, how is that possible? Doing what? Uh, due to the surprise hit, Marley and Me. She made $27 million from Marley and Me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How much money did that? Well, I guess it must have made, I mean, hundreds of millions then. And because... your friend uh, Taylor Swift topped Britney by making $5.5 million for the year. Well, that doesn't surprise me it, that she topped Britney. Uh, Britney, it only surprises me that it was by that little. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Britney Spears, I mean, I can't think that, like, her income is really... Uh, I can't think that she's really flush with cash. Well, she's at this been point. through like a layoff in the past year, I suppose. And she's got, you know, any number of kids and husbands uh, littered around the country to support. By the way, this guy says not 
not only uh, did his car get towed illegally, then they sold it at auction without his permission. So apparently they got the car, they sold the car without his permission, then they sold it for scrap without his permission, and then they crushed it without permission. That's just like a whole, mm. that is like the very definition of a series of unfortunate events. Mm. I wonder if he would just go there at night and just stare lovingly at the car <laughs> through like a chain link fence, mm. like looking at your kitten at the Humane Society before it has to be put down. All right, here's Tim Riley. Bob Barker says he was once offered a role in a porno movie. I had done some modeling in Palm Beach when I worked in a radio station down there. Uh, a photographer from here in New York was down there, and he, I told him I was going to California, and he said, well, maybe I can help you get some work out there while you try to get into radio. And he gave me the card for a photographer in Hollywood. I went to see this photographer. He said, I have no work for you, but he said, a fellow down here on Santa Monica Boulevard, he may have some work for you. So I went down Bumblebees there. had nickels on them. Gentlemen, I, I guess that's a bad choice of words, but this fellow, he <laughs> approached it very carefully and worded it carefully, but gradually it dawned on me that he was offering that he had an a onion on his belt in a pornographic movie. And I assured him this was not my thing, and I got out of there, but I, I couldn't wait to get home to tell my wife, Dorothy Joe, about it. I came in and I said, Dorothy Joe, I've been offered a part in a pornographic movie. She said, did you take it? <laughs> no, I think Dorothy uh, Joe would be the one. Uh, she'd be the one taking it in the pornographic film. Wow. So when that was did this, amazing. When did this happen to him? Well, it had to be in the 1950s. I was gonna say, it wasn't, he wasn't like he was modeling recently for no. Wrinkle Slave Digest. All right. Well, you know, maybe he was an attractive man in his day. I can't really, in my head, when I picture Bob Barker, first of all, he looks a lot like Bob Eubanks, which I know isn't really the case, but it, like Bob Eubanks actually looks much older than Bob Barker, and well, he's considerably younger. And he's got that thing. Bob Eubanks has that deal where he's just, um, it looks like he's just been eating ten thousand carrots a day because he's got that weird sort of, he's got that strange orangish hue to him mm -hmm. that comes from. I don't even think it's like fake tanning as such. I think it's like a weird. Like a plastic surgery meets too much time in Vegas kind of a look going on. So, well, good for Bob Barker. An employee of Xerox arrested after they found nearly 10,000 ink sticks at his Beaverton home. Under arrest is Ayad Masawai. He's 42. And uh, police said he had close to 10,000 Xerox sticks. The estimated value $275,000. He's a naturalized U.S. citizen originally from Iraq. But he works for Xerox. He'd been selling the ink sticks for two years through eBay. He may have sold $125,000 worth. Is this just like the ink, uh, the replacement ink uh, cartridge, cartridge or whatever, like yeah. you put in your printer? Yes. Boy, you talk about something that's more valuable than gold. Dude, oh, to be the guy who created the thing for that Hewlett Packard laser jet that I have at home. Like I say, it's, it's where you take it into the print shop and you can, the guy does everything but rub his hands together and twirl a mustache while tying somebody to a railroad track. And then this insanity of how all of the ink cartridges have to be exactly the same size inside the printer, even though, like, the only one you're ever going to... When is the last time you printed something at home that really required, like, a lot of puce? That never happens. Never. No, 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 I'm going to have to refill the teal while I'm here, sir. Well, I don't need the teal. I just need the one that's black. Well, I'm sorry. I can't sell you just the one that's black. I have to replace the whole thing. How about the mauve? Do you need more mauve? No, I don't. Well, I'm going to sell it to you anyway because they all come connected. And then you realize you have to like, sell your bone marrow to, uh, to get your printer refilled. It's terrible. Uh, by the way, a lot of people have the day off today. It's Good Friday. Did you know that? I, it's still a holiday in some workplaces. Uh, I knew that Good Friday happened at some point, but I didn't really follow it. Does that mean Ash Wednesday was two days ago?
Yes, it, no, Ash Wednesday was long before two days ago, wasn't it? Wasn't that at the beginning of Lent? I think so. Yes. And we have this conversation every year. Oh, yes, yeah. so Sunday's we Easter. We can never remember. Sunday's Easter. Easter. So Ash Wednesday happens not, it's not that Ash Wednesday, beginning good, of Lent. Holy Thursday, Good Friday? No, 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 no. Ash Wednesday happened a long time ago. When is I think the, Ash Wednesday's the day after, um, not Cinco de Mayo, what's the other one? Fat Tuesday. It's <laughs> related to Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> it's, it's an ancient Catholic ritual. It's the day after Fat Tuesday, I think. It's after breakfast burrito day. <laughs> I always get Fat Tuesday and wow. Cinco de Mayo confused. I'm sorry. <laughs> so maybe we'll get a, a Mexican word of the day from Jesus later. Uh-oh. The uh, um, So, wait a minute. So, Ash Wednesday happens, and then the 40 days of Lent? Yes. Then Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday. I think it's Holy Thursday. Well, I'm skipping Holy Thursday because nobody cares about that. It's gone anyway. Holy, Holy Thursday is like uh, Holy Thursday is like the uh, like the Academy Award for best sound editing. You know, you know, nobody really, they start real strong and then there's like a lag in the middle and then you end real big with Easter. So, all right, well, there you go. All it means is that if you go to like Fred Meyer on Monday, you'll be able to buy uh, uh, sort of weird plasticky hollow uh, Easter bunnies for like you know for like fifteen cents, which is really that's the only time I will ever purchase those. And My mom always mails me an Easter basket. I got mine in the mail the other day. Let me just say this. Do I speak for everybody when I say that hollow uh, chocolate Easter bunnies are, in fact, tastier than solid Easter bunnies for reasons you can't quite put your solid finger on? Solid ones will break your teeth. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, and leaving aside the issue of the amount of chocolate, there's something in a tactile sense that is much more pleasing about a hollow Easter bunny. I don't know what it is. I think it's because there's more edges to it or something. I think it has a... Uh, you just think there should be more. Well, and I think it has sort of a... There's a, like a, there's a textural thing that is more appealing to your mouth. I think you're right. I don't disagree. You're just saying that to get me off the Easter I don't like Hollow Easter Bunnies at all. Really? No, Cadbury Cream Eggs are where it's at. Oh, but I'm saying if you have to choose between no, Hollow seem, and Solid. They always seem stale. I like Solid. Well, they are stale. No, let's have yeah. no illusions about that. I don't like it. They taste kind of chalky. That, that, see, that's do you, do you also agree with this assessment? That there is a kind of chocolate that is only used in, in Easter Bunnies? It's like they've got their own weird... It's like a special mix or something. It's a special blend that only gets used for that purpose and nothing else. I know I'm the only one who cares about this. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. In the next hour, Jim Roop will join us from Los Angeles. Aaron Duran will come up. Uh, will come here from uh, geekinthecity.com. He'll be talking about Observe and Report. At this moment, we will take Caller 10 at 503-733-2970. Caller 10 will win a pair of tickets to the Jägermeister Music Tour happening at the Roseland Theater April 14th featuring Pennywise. You'll also win a Pennywise skate deck and be entered in a contest to win a Jägermeister tap machine, a custom guitar, a PV amplifier, and a JVC HD radio. That is caller number 10 right now at 503-733-2970. It's a Rick Emerson show on Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. It is Friday morning. It's 503-733-2970. Ahead in this hour, uh, CNN Radio correspondent Jim Roop joins us from Los Angeles. Still to come, Snuff Watch today, a geek watch. And uh, we'll have another pair of tickets to see Pennywise as part of the Jägermeister Music Tour, plus Aaron Duran reviews Observe and Report. And we'll have news about the the new Star Trek film, which they did that, that whole unveiling uh, at the Alamo Drafthouse a couple days ago with Leonard uh, Nimoy, which is apparently awesome. This is Tim Riley at the News Desk. <laughs> In the news with Tim Riley. A crook is dressing up like a Comcast worker and breaking into homes in Lake Oswego and Southwest. 
apparently some woman heard some noise, some racket in her backyard. She went to check it out. She said that a man had just smashed the back window and was trying to get in. Now, that's an overzealous Comcast employee, but it wasn't. Uh, when the man saw her son, he ran away. And apparently Comcast is offering a few tips on how to recognize a legitimate employee. All Comcast employees have ID badges. I guess anybody could make one, really, be a crook. And they keep it visible at all times. Just time. in case you're wondering what to do with the rest of your afternoon. If a technician is coming to your home for a service appointment, you can request a work order. Who else could some... they impersonate with ease, Tim? Well. See, that's the dangers of having cable. That is. But for for the most part, Comcast, I mean, you you can just go to the Comcast office and get whatever you need and do it yourself. I am really a big fan. Can I just tell you that um, I was having this discussion with somebody the other day, and they were uh, they were kind of giving me the whole, uh, well, you know, I don't know. I got the, uh, you know, I got the channels you can get over the air with that converting thing now. And I was, it was another sort of, I don't have uh, a cable TV guy. And he actually had come over to Laura and I's house for uh, dinner, um, I don't know, maybe two or three days after that. And he came over, and I made a point of having uh, of having the TiVo on and running, and then it's and then later on in the evening using my lightning fast internet connection because I take it as almost just a personal affront uh, when I meet people who are do, who it's like if you don't have cable, you don't have cable. But to be just sort of dismissive about the well, I don't understand what there is on that cable. I mean, just, no, I'm I use my friends for their cable. Are you kidding me? You might as well go live in a mud hole somewhere. What? I mean, really, what is the what is the point of being an American if you're not going to have cable television? I mean, it is. It is what didn't elevates you not, us. Didn't you shut it off, though, for a few months? No, no. That's a, all I had done. This is during uh, some of my in-between job uh, stages that I had um, I had ratcheted back a little bit the amount of cable television that I was, you know, because it was like whatever the tiered uh, packaging or something. Um, so I had uh, I had stepped it down a level uh, when I was between gigs. But here's the thing about it. The, I, I have to tell you, we really uh, I, at any given moment, I, I just expect um, I just expect uh, the television programming to just become coming out of my uh, out of my uh, my duct work at home and my, my like my faucet because the number of avenues now by which you can get television just streaming to you day or night people don't remember young people especially they're talking to our friend bruce really, about Rick? this they don't remember that there was a time when, when there was an indian on the test pattern well but see but then but then you wouldn't even get the test pattern then it would just go to snow that's something that today's kids don't they don't remember but i was just having no a conversation about that on uh Gosh, I think Wednesday when I went when I watched Poltergeist. Yes, and because Sutton she sees the people in the TV. There's Carol Ann's in front of the TV, and there's the snow pattern, and that's after they played the um, national anthem. The national anthem after and then, high flight. The this, poem, and then they would have like the, the soothing music, and the guy would say, "This concludes our broadcast day. We operate from the studios of 1505 Southeast Division Street. Thank you for joining us, and have a pleasant evening. And we'll see you tomorrow." And you know you. And it was that thing of like you fell asleep watching Carson or something. You'd wake up and just, ha! you know, and then there's just like the loud blaring noise coming out of the TV. So if you were living in maybe a small town or maybe you had, like I was talking to uh, the programmer emeritus Bruce Egler and there were small markets we worked in and just in you know, old radio gigs we'd had and whatever. And he was, I forget where, but he was talking about some, some place like deep in the thickets of Arizona where he was working. Like some strange kind of weird swing shift where he would be, he'd get off work at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And then, of course, you're staying up till like 7 or 8 in the morning. And he's like, and there was nothing to do. Because three networks, all of them off the air at midnight. And then you're in, you know, you're, you know, like, uh, like bucket kick uh, Arizona with population five. And there's a whole lot of nothing except staring out the window and wondering if you'll ever live somewhere better. I mean, I guess you could always read a book. But... So the idea that you now have just hot and cold running entertainment 
That's a thing that I don't take lightly. So, no, no, no. Even in my most destitute moments, even in my most dire circumstances, no, the, ca- the cable television stays on. So that's that- why I'm so happy I have the internets, because it serves as my cable. Because oh. I can watch basically anything I want like is, uh, on my computer. It is your umbilical to the world of the living, Sarah. Here's Tim Riley. Well, you're probably wondering what Mariah Carey is twittering about today. She uh, took to her account and left a short message about being involved in a crash. She wrote, okay, so this is why I don't drive or get up early. Just got a little car accident in L.A. But the singer notes everyone's okay. But she also notes that being up early, her dogs are not getting along. So <laughs> all the more reason to have Twitter. This what an exciting of, life. It is true. <laughs> this underscores a conversation I was having with Susan Reynolds after the show yesterday because we had this whole thing yesterday where, like, Sarah didn't, didn't use Twitter but then started using it a little bit and then... I kind of got dragged into it because I figured once Sarah was doing it, you know, Sarah's sort of the food taster for technology in an online sense. Am I ever going to break you for the, with the Facebook? I don't know. Well, did you say that they just passed 200 million users on that, which is indication to me. You know, the Facebook, they said it's something like the fifth largest country in the world or some insanity if, if you were to sort of look at it as, you know, as a nation. 200 million people. And But my deal is this. I feel if I make the transition to Facebook... Because we've talked about there's this sort of demarcation in my head that I'm an early adopter in terms of physical technology. It's an MP3 player or the TiVo or anything like that. You know, it's like it's some it, like uh, you know it's some sort of like a, like a, like a new way to burn CDs or DVDs or a way to compress media. Like I'll go to Fry's and buy that stuff and bring it home immediately, the first version, as soon as it rolls off the assembly line. But I think that's where I've made the cutoff point in my own head because otherwise you just spend all your time and money just getting the first version of everything. Mm-hmm. So I have limited myself to actual physical gadgets that I can hold, whereas you're more like on uh, online stuff, social networking stuff, because you used MySpace way before anybody else I knew. You used Facebook before anybody else I knew. And then of the two of us, of course, you like made the leap into the Twittering world. <laughs> Only like five minutes before you. <laughs> but, but but again, it's like you're... But then, so, of course, I did sign you up. So you, you are kind of like the technological red shirt in that way, where you get sent down to the, the tentacle hell planet, uh, and then Kirk is sort of looking at it going, no, no, we can't go down. No, they've... No, to shreds. No. No, we have to wait. But my deal is that if I'm going to make the move to Facebook, which a lot of people are saying I should because more people, easier interface, less jackassery, mm-hmm. I feel like if I'm going to do that, I can't stay on MySpace. Anymore? Well, then you've got like 15, because then where do you draw the line? Then mm-hmm. it's like if there's something after Facebook, am I keeping MySpace and Facebook no, and whatever the new thing is? It gets really confusing, honestly. Like, I, I don't really pay a lot of attention to MySpace anymore. And I've already added the new thing, which is Twitter. So now I got, right now, I have two things, which would become three. It would be Twitter, Facebook, and MySpace. And that is in addition to the station blog, blog and yeah. to my own personal blog at Rick Emerson. There's like six things right there. Isn't MySpace just a place where people with fake names complain about everything? I think that's, mm. no, that's the internet you're thinking of. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's everything everywhere, Tim. Um, so I feel like if I make the move to, to my uh, to Facebook, I'm just going to have to leave a forwarding message you know, like one well, of those honestly, gone fishing signs or Facebook something at MySpace? isn't that easy to navigate either. Like, I can't figure out, like, everybody's, I've been on it now for a long time, and I can't figure out how to look at people's profiles. Yeah, still. that... Most that... people, like, I guess they have public profiles, and from mine, I can't see anybody's. Like, I'll, I'll search for somebody, and all that comes up is, like, a little... I, I can't figure it out. People have tried to explain it to me. Let me ask you this right now. If I were to keep one or the other, if I were to either have a Facebook page, like, that was public, in other words, for, for you know, for the, the Rick Emerson show... Um, if I were to have either a Facebook page or a MySpace page, what would you say? Facebook. Really? Mm-hmm. For what? I mean, you think it's... A, it's, it's cleaner. A, okay. It'd be, it'll be it'll be easier for you. Is it something that you feel like I could just ditch my MySpace page and go with that? 
Maybe you could like give your MySpace page to KUFO or something and somebody can... Or make like a transitional period of like a month. Yeah. You could abandon it and just leave a picture of a chain link fence. And just sort of a tumbleweed kind of blowing through over and over and over again on some sort of a looping gif. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I well, think I think that right, you'd I'm like done. it. You can't hang on to everything forever. Well, that, but don't you feel like in a way... I know I can't. I feel like I'm kind of distancing myself from my MySpace page, but I can't let it go. That's the thing because you never, especially if you're working in the media or the entertainment industry and you are by definition uh, a neurotic attention whore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're like, but I don't know. What if somebody's trying to look at me? I, I have to go over and see if I'm being looked at. Maybe they're talking about me. Maybe somebody else has posted a picture that has me in it. Uh, you know, <laughs> so, so it's like you don't want to let any of these things go. So you are, you're like the, uh, you're like the Aesop's fable of the dog on the bridge with the bone, but you got like 15 bones and the dog in the reflection has like 40 more. And you want all of them at once because there is no definitive online sort of congregation place. So now as a result, you got to have, you know, like seven of these small ones that you're sort of juggling simultaneously. Mm-hmm. It's too much work. It really is. I think you're going to be really overwhelmed with the Facebook, though, at the beginning because you'll right. probably be bombarded with like billions of people. And then everyone writes you things at the same time. Oh, oh, but so just to sort of bring this all back to around Twitter? here, to so bring it all back around to Twitter. So we had this whole discussion yesterday where uh, Sarah started using Twitter for something or other. And then I said, well, if you're doing it, then maybe I'll start doing it. And so I made my first Twitter post, which, by the way, is still there. And it's still I never bothered to correct it. It still says something like, I don't know, it was supposed to be like scrubbing pans and eating Cheetos. But it's it's something like scrubbing and pan Cheeto eats or something. Cause okay, I, I it says, it. Scrubbing and pan and eating giant Cheetos. I mean, it makes no sense at all because <laughs> I don't even know if I can go back and correct it after the fact, which I guess is a problem for me to figure out like on my own time. You can pretend it's like Shakespeare and everyone will agree. <laughs> sort of, no, no, no. It's uh, that's my writing style. It's uh, sort of a modern day E.E. E. Cummings uh, kind of a thing. L- later, I'm just going to capitalize V's, but nothing else. So I've got that issue. And we were trying to figure out how to uh, reply back to someone's specific Twitter comment to you. And I still the, don't know how to. We had the greatest idea after the show. We said, okay, well, you know what, uh, Susan Reynolds, you've got kids. Uh, one of them's like, I don't know, 15-something. The other one's uh, like 11. So they, they, they're probably – they know how to do this because kids always grasp that stuff. Like, way, It's like with languages. Mm-hmm. Kids grasp languages way faster than adults do because your brain is just like a sponge when you're so a kid. Porous. <laughs> um, as opposed to my brain, which is just sort of like a big dirt clod with sticks in it. And so I told Susan, I'm like, hey, you know, uh, kids have got Friday off, apparently. Why don't you have one of your kids come in and she can explain the whole Twitter thing to us. Because that's what they want to do is wake up at 7 a.m. Come on. Well, I thought, and I thought it would be sort of funny, like as a goof, like one of her kids is in here and we're literally having something explained to us by a child. So that was the plan, is, is was to have uh, one of Susan's kids come in and explain technology to us because Yay. we're old and stupid. So I talked to her yesterday after the show. She talked to her older daughter about it, uh, her older daughter, uh, Taylor. And you know what Taylor actually said? Huh. Taylor actually said that no one she knows uses Twitter. Really? And Susan said, well, wait a minute. Are you, you know, Twitter online, the messaging thing? And Taylor actually went, uh, she got online with like an instant messaging thing or like a texting thing. And it's, by the way, very telling that she did not even use Twitter to ask people about this. Mm-hmm. She asked every single friend of hers that she could track down in like an hour long period. And not a single one of them who were all about 15, 16, not a single one of them used Twitter for anything. Well, maybe Twitter's just for self-involved older people. That was exactly what Susan said. She said, "No, no, no. It's just for media attention whores and people who, uh, you know, uh, and uh, people who are sort of, you know, over the age of like twenty-five. It is a thing that is solely for adults and uh, and people like who make their living being the object of attention. Because it is kind of like MySpace or Facebook without the flair. Because you can just like put your like, look at me, look at me, look and at me. And that was the thing. Is yeah. She said that uh, she said the difference is, and this makes total sense. She said the. The difference is that if you are on instant messaging or texting, see, like, Tim, do you even text with people? 
As long as it's yes or no. <laughs> no, I, I see these involved texts. like, oh, my God, what am I supposed to do? Y-E-S or N-O. If, if it's any more than that, I don't answer it. Like if, you, if, it's not a, if it's not a text that you can respond to on that blackjack phone or whatever it is they sell to old people in Parade Magazine, you don't care? Oh, the jitterbug. The jitterbug? I don't have the jitterbug. So the... So to, so to wrap all of this I up... I have the hokey pokey, <laughs> which is an obscure one. What she noted is she she made this distinction. She said that texting and instant messaging are for when you're going to set something up. Like, uh, let's all meet at the movies. Let's go to the mall. Hey, what did that guy say about me in fifth period? Whereas Twittering is just for telling the rest of the world what's going on in your tiny, unimportant life. It would be great if every hour you just put a message there that said, look at me. <laughs> I'm totally going to do that right now. Do it. During okay. the break, remember our promise? Okay, we're going to go to the break. I am immediately... like Mitchell Bickford's picture there. I am immediately... I'm just going to put, look at me, period, with nothing. At once an hour, every... And I'm not even going to have a link. With the whole weekend. Hey, and then I'm going to... That's all it's going to be. How about you do look at me and I'll do pay attention to me. Okay. Okay. And we're done. It's you the Rick Emerson the Show. Rock with a one The Rick Emerson Show returns. Rose... Where we're going, we don't need roads. This is Rock 101, KUFO. It is the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101, KUFO, and good morning to ye. It is Friday. It is 7.30, ladies and gentlemen. I guess I'm supposed to give the temperature here, but I don't really know what the temperature is. Tim, make up a temperature that sounds convincing. Uh, 46, 47. It's 46, 47 degrees, give or take. But that's centigrade, so you'll need to uh, do the adjustment in your head. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, later on today, we will talk to Aaron Geek in the city, Duran. He's going to have a review of Observe and Report. And we'll also talk about the uh, new Star Trek film, which is uh, upcoming, which uh, apparently is just uh, exceptional, by the way. We got this. Rick, I was just asking you this the other day. Rick, I heard somebody on the station talking about playing foosball. What the hell is a foos? I don't know the answer to that either. You did just ask me I that. I did. I just asked you last week what a foosball was or why it was called foosball. And you had this theory that it was German or something. Because it's like football. And I'm like, foosball must be like football somewhere. I don't know. That's the sort of thing that when it comes out of your mouth, sounds like it makes some sense. But then when you look at it, there's no actual, there's mm -mm. no real reason there. That's just a lot of. That's a good like... question to ask on Twitter. That's. Please Rick, don't. Please. You should do it. Wait a minute. Hold on a second now. Let's not get crazy. But could Twitter be the thing that we use to try to find an answer to these nagging science questions on those rare occasions that we can't get them answered here yes. on the show? Yeah. Because usually, like, we'll have. Like, you know, we will have some uh, some weird uh, question about nature or, or chemistry or the way something works. Or we'll have something like, you know, how long could man live on bread alone? I need to know. And usually, it just because the Rick Emerson audience we've learned, is it's like the power of distributed computing, where together we sort of know everything about everything. But every now and again, we can't pull the answer from the... Okay, here, like, for example, mm -hmm. just the other day, we were asking that question about... How you know in America, one of the great things about making, let's say, a batch of chocolate chip cookies is eating cookie dough, you know, eating the cookie batter. Yet at the same time, they tell you to never have raw eggs because of salmonella. So my whole thing is 
Both of those statements can't be true. Raw eggs can't be dangerous, yet at the same time, all of us are having cookie dough uh, in America because we'd all be dead. I mean, it seems like there were were just, I mean, it would just be cutting a swath through every generation under the age of 10. Uh, And we were trying to sort of figure out a definitive answer that we never were able to. Seems like Twitter might be the place where we can do that. All right, I'm going to think up a uh, sciencey question. We'll uh, we'll ask that later on. Okay. This at the news desk is your personal savior, Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. The sea captain escaped from the pirates, but they caught him and threw him back in the boat. So uh, we have a big ship sending over there to uh, threaten this little rowboat. It doesn't seem like escaping is that big of a deal, by the way, because you said it basically is just a door that's floating there on the uh, on the ocean. Yeah. That's. I mean, it's like that guy at the end of uh, It's Alive, where he's just busy sort of floating in the middle of the Atlantic. Lisa really does have a uh, a pretty good question when she says that, not that we aren't trying to rescue the hostages and keep everybody safe, but... There's only one hostage. I mean, but there's... I mean, So, the, oh, so it's just the one guy? Yeah, it's the sea captain. Because I thought that... I, I thought it was ship. him and some other crew members. So if it was just him... I mean, obviously everybody wants to... Well, have you ever seen, like, documentaries or news stories on pirates out in sea? Yeah. They're scary. Yeah, but but that's that's my thing. I mean, you obviously, we want the guy to come back home safe, and we want him to... And I mean this sincerely. Everybody wants it to end well. But there's going to come a point where the U.S. Navy is going to go, wait a minute, we've got missiles, and we're a huge billion-dollar warship. You're a raft. Mm -hmm. So hand them over, or, you know, you're all going home in a cigar box. It's it's the same foolishness that we have to keep spending billions of dollars to build these jets, and we're fighting with people actually sitting on a door, floating in the middle of the ocean. Well, and people think that I was uh, sort of being goofy when I was talking about the Taliban riding around with pointed sticks on the backs of donkeys. I'm pretty sure that when we went into Afghanistan, maybe they weren't, they might have actually been small ponies. But I do seem to remember, like, here we see a fearsome Taliban warlord, and it's like a guy. Really, it was like technology, not even from from the Flintstones. I mean, it was beamed to us from the Paleolithic era, mm-hmm. and it was a guy who looked like he was about to go riding past the destroyed head of the Statue of Liberty on the beach somewhere. And even the donkeys have one eye and no teeth. Exactly. But Tim, but but just to remind us of all this, that one-eyed donkey is king. That's true. <laughs> we we were sent this that says the nation's terror threat level is yellow or elevated. Just to remind us that apparently they're still out there. So uh, yellow is right in the middle, but nobody cares. But people care more about Miley Cyrus, who said she's becoming overwhelmed by her own stardom. As much as Hannah changes and as much as Miley changes, then again, it's all the same person. And the Hannah life really does start affecting Miley Stewart and starts making her the person that she always was so against. The reason that she had this double life was so she could not become that person, not obsessed with material things and so obsessed with Hollywood and what she's become and not remember who she is. Not like her. Here's a question. Could we all just quit paying attention to Miley Cyrus? I, I mean, that, we, yeah. that just occurs to me now. She's so boring. That's my thing. I just, I don't, maybe this like, sounds Like, until she daft. starts whoring it up or, like, like, becoming a lesbian like Lindsay Lohan, like. No, that would be something. <laughs> yes, it would, Tim. I feel like, um, I feel like that maybe is an observation everybody else has already arrived at. But what, we don't actually have to talk about her, do we? No. I mean, we could just not discuss uh, Miley Cyrus. Well, Brittany's been kind of quiet lately, so... No, no, no. That's true. We need somebody. Did you see that she, again last night, this is not old news, now two nights in a row, she has done a show where she screams out for no reason that rock out with your blank out thing. She screamed it again? Again last night in a different city, in a different song for no readily apparent reason. And it's, just, and it's the... Yeah, somebody well, I guess it. it's be- becoming her signature of sorts. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it's always good to find a musical catchphrase from 17 years ago and begin screaming that at all of your shows for no reason. Oh, and be sure to show people your uh, your genitals. That works well, too. And then comment on how they're <laughs> hanging out. <laughs> wow. What? Isn't that what she said? Do you mean her... Uh, 
You mean she's letting it all hang out uh, in in the sense of relaxation? Creatively. Then let, let's not pay any attention to her, and instead, we can listen to Levi Johnston speak every day how he's providing for his baby. I know I can be a good father, and I know I'm going to be. I mean, I got, I got a penis. Can you provide for Trip? Uh, yeah. Do you have a job? Not not like a like a sta- like steady job right now, no. So how can you provide for him? I'd find a way. Uh, I got me some sperm, and... Uh, I mean, I can impregnate somebody uh, probably later today. I can I can be a father. And also when she says, do you have a job? And he says, do you mean a steady job? <laughs> what kind of ignoramus? No, no. We mean, do you have something that will occupy you for for seven minutes later on today and that will pay you uh, $4 once and then never again? Do you have a steady job, jackass? So welcome now to the Rick Anderson <laughs> Show from Los Angeles. Seriously. Somewhere in this in this sad world of ours, uh, there's an actual kid who has him as a father. I mean, look, th- th- like we hear him for about 14 seconds, and I feel like somebody's taken a few folds out of my brain. Yet quality people like Bob Barker are childless. Well, but that's the way it is, Tim. Uh, all right. Except in the case of Jim Roop, who is a stunning father figure and a stunning father to boot. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. All right. How's uh, life in uh, Los Angeles? Life is great. There's this, um, before we plunge on into, you, you kind of got this celebrity sort of wrap up going on, and then, and then you uh, go a little bit behind the scenes on, on the Chris, you've kind of tied together the Chris Brown thing, Howard Stern, and Phil Spector all in one story. And I want to get to that in a second, but, uh, we don't talk a lot of uh, sports here just because it's, it's not a thing that I can really speak knowledgeably about. But talk about this guy from the, uh, the Anaheim Angels, uh, Nick, uh, is it Aiden Hart? Did you pronounce this? Aiden Hart, yeah. Aiden Hart. And this is, I mean, just is, uh, is the weirdest thing. It's just, I mean, the very definition of random where, uh, he had, um, just, I guess he did a great game and then out of the blue, it's the, you know, the, the thing you hear a million times or there's some uh, drunk driver that changed lanes or crossed the lane or did something or other. And the next thing you knew, it was just, uh, it was a, a fatal accident, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I was just at that game too. It was really strange. Um, that's why I I took it kind of weird. I mean that that really was it, that really struck me weird. But anyway, he uh, finished the game. I guess the game ended about ten twenty. Got together with his girlfriend, another couple of guys. They went to a place called In Cahoots in Fullerton. Did a little dancing, driving home about twelve twenty. Boom! Some guy ran a red light, sixty miles an hour. Uh, pushed his car into a pole, killed three people. He took off running. They caught him about a half hour later. He's up on several charges. But this guy's life, his first major league start, and uh, pitched six shutout innings, and uh, life over. I mean, it's just the weirdest thing. I was reading the story uh, this morning, and uh, you know, I guess you can make the point that you know, death is always, you know, as they say, as somebody said one time, you know, the, the final end is always actually very sudden, no matter how much you may be expecting it or not. But that sort of, you know, that juxtaposition of uh you know having such a great night and then just you know just in the blink of an eye it's the weirdest it's the the old the thing i keep going back to whenever i hear a story like this is uh some of the folks out there may uh know there's a program used to be on the donna mike program which is a, a talk show that used to be uh used to be heard in many locales around the nation and don geronimo who's the co-host of that show his wife frida was on the program constantly you know it was sort of you know like a howard thing where she was you know calling in a lot and she was a real i mean i can't even tell you how many hours of my life i probably spent listening to his wife on that show and then one night uh she's driving back from wherever and same thing drunk driver crosses the center line you know and and then you know and she's gone and it's just it really does come out of blue and i don't mean to be like johnny buzzkill on a friday but i know it's but it's a, it's a big story and i didn't i had no idea you were actually there 
Um, I was there the night before. Or the night before. I mean, it's just, uh, it's I, just, I was at the game. Yeah, I mean, it's just so, it's just so, I mean, it's just, it really is, uh, really is a thing that you have difficulty kind of wrapping, uh, your, your mind around. Just the very, uh, the very random and arbitrary uh, nature of our existence and not, not unlike that story about that, that plane that uh, crashed in San Diego a while back. So, wow. Well, yeah, that was, it was really sad. I mean, it was really a sad day. The, the entire city, uh, not just Orange County, but LA County, the entire tri county area, mm-hmm. um, was just, uh, you know, kind of in a shock. Right. It was really crazy. Yeah. Um, the, just to sort of end this on a, on a somewhat different note, I know that they, you were working on this, uh, this story where you're talking about Chris Brown and Howard Stern and Phil Spector, and I will just read the lead-up line that they have here on the CNN prep sheet, and then I will, I'll do the handoff to you. CNN's Jim Roop reports that no one, though, was busier than the man responsible for their safe passage. Jim? <laughs> the safe passage of the celebrities into the courtroom is yes. what, uh... Is what that alludes to. That's all that the prep sheet said. Yeah, that's all it is. So, but I'm. Th- but this is like, is this the guy, the, the you know, the security guy that's responsible for making sure that the, nobody the, chucks they, a rock at Chris Brown? Yeah, the L.A. County sheriffs are the ones that run the courthouse, and this guy is a sergeant with the sheriff's department. He's in charge of the 160 deputies that are that he schedules for different things. They're the ones to keep the media back, the fans back. Um, and it was real busy last week with Chris Brown, Phil Spector, and Howard K. Stern. So it was like I could see this guy pulling his hair out. He had very little hair anyway. And I decided to do a little interview with him. Turns out, by the way, I grew up with a guy. His name is Ricky Lucas. He was, a, he was one of the kids that hopped the trains with us. When I was, I, you know, we started talking, and he said, I know your name. And I said, I, and I put two and two together, and here it is, Ricky Lucas from my old neighborhood. You hopped the train? Was that what led? Did you have like a bindle over your shoulder? And, uh, no, no, we used went- to hop trains down at the stockyards, you know, and... Then you, you and find, Jack Kerouac were going to go. We were off. Uh, no, man, you find an outgoing car, a flatbed. Everybody gets on it, and as the train leaves and picks up speed, the last guy who jumps off is the king. Oh, I see. So this is not where you're jumping onto the train. No, no, we're jumping off the train. Ah, okay. And, well, and a kid named Arnold McGuffey wouldn't jump off, and he wound up in Chicago. Man, <laughs> eight hours on a flatbed car. I'm surprised he he arrived alive. How never, fast does one of those trains a, go? I have, it had to be 80 miles an hour or something wow. at some point. You know, it was from Cincinnati to Chicago. See, now, here's the thing, like, inside my brain, I'm just sort of picturing this montage of uh, sort of train crossings all across Illinois, and just that kid going, like, by one at a time, and just always with the same sad, blank stare on his face. Well, it's weird when, when he, I guess when he got there uh, at the Dearborn Street Station in Chicago, they... They, it, it took forever for them to get who he was because he could barely speak. He, he was crying so bad. He, he couldn't catch his breath. He had divots in his cheeks, man, from crying for eight hours. How old was he? We were 10, 11 years old. Yeah, that seems... I'm just picturing, like, a guy checking off the inventory, too. You know, he's just going, all right, uh, bark, ball bearings, kid, kid. lumber, <laughs> yeah. and uh, doorknobs. All it, right, Honestly, uh, it really is truly amazing that he was alive. And wow. we forgot all about him. This was early in the morning. You forgot all about him. And we would, seriously, man, we went to the Stop and Rob, stole some lemon drops, you know, from the, we, we had a whole day. And then it wasn't until dinner time when Arnold McGuffey's mother was looking for him, we all went, uh, haven't seen Oh, him. yeah, that kid. Hey, haven't he's on a train. Yeah. yeah, out of town. No, I probably not, not going to see him again, most likely. Yeah. And then about 2 o'clock in the morning, she came banging on everybody's door because we lived in a, I lived in a housing project. Right. And so you could hear someone knocking on each door as they were coming down the building. And she was knocked, She was banging all our doors, yelling and screaming about her son being in Chicago. Wow! I got the beating of my life, dude. Well, I mean, look. I mean, that's not like you're a. 
as you said, it's not like it's not like you're pocketing some gummy fish from the candy store. It's like you lost a kid on a train, and he ended up eight hours away in Chicago. I mean, that's a you know that certainly seeds for irritation. I would think. Yeah, well, you know, he knocked on all of us because no one had to know we were all there with him. Oh, I you know, see. But he just, it was Jimmy Roop and Terry Berger, Dennis Geiger. I mean, he just blew on all of us. Uh, come on. He didn't understand Omerta, my friend. Uh, he didn't understand the code it's of the streets. Thing he wasn't allowed to play with us anymore because we wouldn't play with him anyway. Excellent. Uh, well, just sort of, sort of wrap all this up. But anyway, I know, this guy was, yeah. he's in charge of all those uh, things. And, and you know, in trying to keep, in dealing with the media, dealing with the fans, dealing with the paparazzi, dealing with all those who have regular business with the court anyway, because there's just thousands and thousands of people down there, from jurors to lawyers to everybody else. And then, you know, just the occasional weirdos that walk in and out of the courthouse constantly. So, I mean, this guy has, he's got a heck of a job. And, you know, he's going, you know, do I prefer all the celebrity stuff? Probably not. But, hey, if it's going to happen, why not happen Well, here? and the scene, as that, guy on, uh, as that guy on the Springer show, whose name I always forget, uh, can attest, you, uh, Steve uh, Will? Steve, yeah, this, the, this, the big bald guy yeah. from the Springer show who ended up getting his own talk show. If you become a high-profile uh, sort of enforcer, any sort of a muscle guy like that at all, uh, that's a thing that people latch on to. Then you can be like, or you can be like, what's his name? Rusty the Bailiff on the, the People's Court. You know what I mean? <laughs> all right. Jim Roop, have a fantastic weekend, sir. We will, uh, and stay away from trains, for the love of God. Oh, uh, you know, absolutely. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, brother. All right, there you go. That's Jim Roop. Boy, he was a ruffian. I had no idea. Jim Roop, former hooligan. Oh, come on. Hooligan. You can see that. I love the idea that if they ever saw the kid again, that they were just going to give him a, just a savage beatdown for that. It's one of the dead-end kids. No lie, man. All right. Me and Bobby Blake were hanging out. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101. KUFO, this is Papa Roach. It's the Rick Emerson Show. The Rick Emerson Show returns. He had two great delusions. One, that he was funny. And two, that he was beloved. On Rock 101, KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for coming along. It is Friday morning. Just ahead, Aaron Duran will be here from geekinthecity.com. He'll be talking about uh, Observe and Report, the new Seth Rogen film, which apparently is fantastic. I mean, I'm like, like I'm not saying it's fantastic because I haven't seen it. So if you go and it sucks, you just send your uh, send your observation somewhere else. But Dawn Taylor from Cinematical was here earlier in the week. She said it was great. Kelly Clark from Willamette Week apparently has heard from the film critic there that it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read some reviews at Ain't It Cool that said it was um, a lot uh, darker and a little you know, more uh, twisted than the trailer would indicate. And I keep hearing the weird taxi driver comparison, which seems a little odd. So um, I'm going to see it this weekend, too. I'll see it, too. And, you know, uh, and when we, we had um, Anna Ferris on the show, I guess it was Wednesday we talked to her, and... When I brought up the issue of it being a little, uh, you know, a little warped and you know having a much darker sensibility than people thought, and you could tell that she is aware of that. That, that, that I think the trailer has been cut to give it a sort of more mainstream. It just appeal. makes her look kind of ridiculous and looks just like a, it looks stupid. Yeah, the, the well, trailer. It, yeah, I mean the trailer. It just it looks very generic. I mean that's the thing is it mm-hmm. looks like it looks like a lot of. It looks like a lot of stuff that comes out of like one of those sub apatow factories. It just looks like boy has crush on girl and tries to impress her. Yeah, and you know, and has script that was probably turned down by Paul Rudd at some point or whatever. Uh, but but apparently that is not the case. And I and I here's the other thing. There is also, I guess, like a really bizarre uh, subplot that I will not reveal uh, here on the air uh, that is not even alluded to uh, in the trailer. So anyway, so observe and report, uh, I guess, a strong review. So we'll, uh, we'll hear from uh, Aaron Duran about that. This email says, Rick, 
I was listening to your top five with Chris Paddock earlier. You used the term unbelievably white-looking couple as a negative. That means you just insulted my wife and I along with 80% of the Portland market. Yes, if I were you, I'd get really annoyed. I'd write a strongly worded letter. Maybe you could sign an online petition demanding that I apologize for it, sir. Wait, he's complaining that you said something about being white? Yes, it's because I was... It's because I was talking about in the Silver Eagle Records commercial where they do that, you know, romantic hits of the 70s. And there is... There's no getting around it, uh, my friend. There's an unbelievably white-looking couple. The guy looks like Ted McGinley, and the woman uh, looks like uh, sort of like a... Like kind of a third-rate Olivia Newton-John. That's the thing where they go to the montage of songs where they're scrolling the titles. Mm. You'll get such hits as Unchained Melody, the Cherish, Carpenters. The Carpenters. <laughs> and it's like, and, you know, and it shows like a couple walking at a beach. And then they cut back to the couple who are sort of hosting the commercial. And as they cut back, they're still on a bearskin rug. And the guy is like on top of her and she's having to push him off of her. And it's, you know, these songs are so great. He won't be able, he won't be able to help himself from assaulting you or whatever. It was like the weirdest commercial. Even then it struck me as sort of, uh, sort of off-putting. Yeah. So in any event, uh, yes, uh, Jim. Was he really offended? Who cares? That's I think I funny. speak for everybody when I say, I don't care. And if he is, that's his problem. So, you know, deal with that inside your own head, friend. <laughs> Here's Tim Riley at the news desk. <laughs> In the news with Tim Riley. The driver who ran down the cyclist in Southeast will not go to jail. This is the one that happened in August 2007. 49-year-old driver got into an argument with the cyclist and intentionally ran him over. Then a second bicyclist intentionally pedaled into the path of that collision. He had cuts yeah. and bruises. So the driver, who is 49-year-old John Eschweiler, has a history of mental illness. At 19, records show he stabbed a co-worker in the face with a fork. And then at the age of 23, they thought they might help him out by removing parts of his brain. It just, didn't help. Maybe they could have... Instead Does of it say why they removed parts of his brain? Just to just fix them? Yeah. Maybe instead of uh, removing parts of his brain, maybe they should have just swapped them around in place. You know, like that little game you'd have when you were a kid where it was like you'd slide the little number panels around inside the square and there mm -hmm. was a missing square. You try to get them in order. Maybe that, you know, occipital lobe, uh, you know, that suddenly moves over to the right a little bit. Maybe the, uh, you know, maybe your cerebellum, that goes right up front. So the big going out of business sale now underway at Joe's used to be G.I. Joe's. That decision comes out of a bankruptcy hearing yesterday. A liquidator has bought the whole thing and all 31 stores will be sold out. Does it say what the timeline is? Because we have... Until everything's gone. Because, for the for being out of business? Because we heard yesterday, I got emails from some, and we have some listeners who who work there. And so they, and it, actually, uh, I won't read it on the air. I won't give his name or anything. But the listener said that he, he was unclear as to what even the timeline of the employment would be if you worked there. Right. But it sounds like it's so just everything sort of a, is sold out of the shelves. You know what's weird about it? If you ever go to a store like that that actually is not, it's not like they're moving locations. It's like they're going away mm -hmm. because you can buy Everything. Like when they shut down, uh, what was the music store? Uh, not Virgin Records. Um, you know, the, all the music stores that they shut Tower? down. Tower? Tower Records, yeah. You could buy like the lamps? Yeah, you, they were selling the shelves that yeah. they were displaying mm -hmm. the CD cases on. It was just bizarre. I yeah. went to a, uh, God, it was like a, uh, um, like a Macy's type store. I forget what it was. It was like, and I was like a JCPenney's or something. It was going out of business and they, they were doing the same thing. It was like selling the mirrors off the walls. They were selling the light fixtures. Uh, they were like, you know, the, like the racks that the ties were put on. So it's, I mean, it's a weird kind of, that is one of those moments where you realize that we are, we, we are just basically just big ants, uh, that have figured out how to put on, uh, how to put on shirts and the bathrobes. Uh, because there was just, the whole thing was just picked clean by the end of the day. It was just completely gone. Here's Tim Riley. Double snuff watch. Here's your double snuff watch. A double? Really? Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, now I'm. 
Now I'm puzzled. But, you know. One is famous, one is not. All right. Well, now I have all this perplexed anticipation. So the first one is non-famous people, but an important story nonetheless from Indianapolis. A tragic case is being investigated in Indiana that includes an elderly woman losing her life while trying to stop a sword fight between family members. A 77-year-old woman got in the middle of an argument between her brother-in-law and grandson when the conflict escalated to a sword fight. All three uh, wound up being stabbed. Uh, the autopsy will be conducted to determine whether she died from stab wounds or suffered a heart attack. The 39-year-old grandson is in stable condition for the heart attack. And he challenged uh, his 69-year-old brother-in-law, who's also seriously injured in the sword fight. Why would you... Well, look, if two members of your family decide that they got to go after each other with swords, mm. you let them... You know, it's like you let the Wookiee win, uh, and you let the sword fight continue. You don't uh, You don't get in the middle of that. That's going to end poorly for you, or, you know, fatally for you. Dungeons & Dragons uh, co-creator Artisan is dead at the age of 61. This is uh, Dave uh, Artisan. The co-creator of the first commercial role-playing game, Dungeons & Dragons, losing his battle to cancer, he was 61. A fan of tabletop war games, he began designing his own game scenarios from an early age. In 1969, he met fellow D&D co-creator Gary uh, Gygax at the uh, second official uh, Gen Con gaming convention. Collaboration between the two would eventually see the first release of Dungeons & Dragons in 1974. Wow, that long ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, following his uh, departure from this company, he went on to found 4D Interactive Systems, a computer company that is still in operation today. He also taught at Full Sail University as a professor of computer game design until 2008. And it is strange to consider that there was a time when there was no Dungeons and Dragons. There was no, and and, and for people who say, and I, I mean, even, even I do this because you know I'm I'm not a D and D player, and I you know I just that's a thing that I just didn't I did not my geekdom went down a different path, mm. um, and I can tell the whole story about it, but I won't. I'll, I'll do it. I'll wait till Aaron's here. Uh, but people who maybe don't play Dungeons and Dragons or aren't part of that, and you kind of say, well, what, you know, okay, the D&D &D guy, what, what's the big deal? I don't think people fully grasp how much the structure of Dungeons and Dragons is represented now in, like, every form of entertainment, especially computer entertainment. Uh, you got World of Warcraft, which has, Jesus, I don't know, it's like at any given moment there's like 11 million people or something playing that, and that is all directly based on Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, it's just, uh, it, I mean, there would be, one would not exist without the other. So uh, that guy's shadow really does loom uh, does loom large. All right, so there you go. That's uh, your double snuff watch for Friday on the Rick Emerson Radio Show. And uh, we'll roll this for him. These are the Dice of Destiny. Choose your destiny. You will never win. There you go. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101, KUFO. Aaron Duran straight ahead with his review of Observe and Report. Now you sit and listen. It's the Rick Emerson Show. The Rick Emerson Show. And it's just waiting for instructions from its creator before actually spawning. The Rick Emerson Show returns. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Show. Thank you for uh, joining us. It's 503-733-2970. Oh, by the way, I just want to mention this really quickly. I want to give a, uh, I want to identify the, uh, the institution, but I want to give a shout out to the guy at Sarah's Bank. Who oh, yeah. Un 
who, who, without really real, and I don't mean for this to sound the way it sounds when I say he didn't know who he was talking to, but I mean honestly, he literally just didn't. No, because he sees didn't my paycheck and he was. saw CBS Radio, and he said, <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, do you work for KNRK? <laughs> I love no. that station." And I'm like, "No," and he was kind of a mouth breather. I'm like, "Okay," and he's like, "Wait." Like, yes. What am I supposed to say? No. I don't know. Keep looking at me because I can't remember exactly how I worded it to you. Well, so, I did, is, as I understand, so you were at the bank and the guy saw the CBS radio and he said, uh, he said, oh, do you work at that uh, K&RK? And he said, no, I, you know, I've, what you said. But I'm like, yeah, I used to work there, but now I work on KUFO. And he's like, oh, KUFO. He's like, I really like that station. I like the music they play. They talk too much in the morning, though. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> I didn't want to He's like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I produce a show. <laughs> I, uh, I work in the gardening department. I don't know. <laughs> I never talk at all. So I'd like to, uh, you should have just pulled out your business card. Then like, there you go. <laughs> Suck on that, friend. Well, he's he's one of those guys that every every time I bring in my paycheck, he's the reason why I want to get direct deposit. He's like, oh, Does he look you at work it, in radio, huh? Shake his what head do you do? sadly. Yeah, uh, no, every time. And then he looks at the number. He's like, oh. <laughs> oh, radio. Eh, okay. Sorry about that. So we'd like to give a hearty hello to the guy who thinks we talk too much. And now, some more talk. By the way, uh, I can ha- I'll have you go on uh, space and talk to the people who think we uh, don't talk enough. You all can figure that out amongst yourselves. <laughs> we can have a party. <laughs> Seriously. And between the two of you, you can have a show you both like. Here's more talking with Tim Riley. He's following In the News with Tim Riley. A Tualatin company will hire 175 to help iPhone customers. The driver who ran down the cyclist in Southeast will not go to jail because he only has a half a brain. Joe's, or as we better know them as, G.I. Joe's is going out of business. Their sale begins today. A Sherwin dog hit by a car is saved by mouth to snout resuscitation. A towing company will replace a Portland man's car after it was mistakenly crushed at a junkyard following a questionable towing. Uh, Levi Johnston claims he can provide for his baby even without a job. And Miley Cyrus claims she's overwhelmed by her popularity. MRI Curry Twitters, she's up early and her dogs aren't getting along. Excellent. That's uh, Tim Riley. We will return to the news desk later on in the program here as we uh, endeavor to uh, convey information to you in a timely and entertaining fashion. This, however, from geekinthecity.com. We're going to welcome now uh, Aaron Duran to the Rick Emerson Radio Show. Ah, there we go. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yo. Hello. I can just make this observation out loud. Uh, we're having the, the weirdest audio issues this week. I'm having what they used to call a Dickens of a time, uh, no, I, getting things to play at the uh, correct moment. I too have experienced that now with these, uh, with the the system here. It's uh, over in our uh, CBS Radio Theater when like a gunshot has to go off, <clears throat> and the board op's kind of waving his arms, and one of us goes yeah. bang, and you, you kind of shrug your shoulders and go, "What can you do? It yeah. was supposed to play." Uh, you know, it, it's just that the uh, the amount of genius that has to be broadcast out of the studio every day just overtaxes the meager system resources here at CBS Radio. Yes. Aaron, Geek in the City, Duran, you've seen, observed, and report. Yes, I have. And? Now, you said something sort of interesting during this break. You yeah. made an intriguing comment about that it's going to have, a, you think, a big opening th- weekend that's going to fall off. Yeah, I think observed and report is going to have a fantastic opening weekend, but next weekend you're going to see like a 70% drop-off. Not because it's bad. Actually, it's a very fun film. It's a, it's, you're right. It is dark. And the, 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 uh, the uh, comparisons to Taxi Driver aren't too far off. But imagine if the character in Taxi Driver... Um, knew he was a little messed up in the right. head. So that's kind of where the sensibilities of this film comes from. I think the problem is that the studio is marketing it as like a Paul Blart 2. 
Because well, they're showing, they're showing like this it. That's like a wacky. No, when yeah. Rick and I were sitting next to each other during Watchmen, and we were like, that looks ridiculous. And, and, and I thought the same looked, thing. Yeah, it just looked very broad and very... I mean, and don't get me wrong. I'm a fan of big, dumb, broad comedies. I really am. I mean, I... Not big, dumb, broad. You know what I mean. The, uh, <laughs> fan of them, too. <laughs> Bada bing! Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but I mean, uh, you know, big, just really broad, stupid comedy is, is, you know, that's a thing that I can, that's a thing I can enjoy. But it seemed very, uh, I, the idea of Seth Rogen making one of those now, it just seemed a little dated. You know, the sort of, yeah. he'd moved on from that, and it seemed very much like a regression for him to do it. But then we started to hear, well, the trailer isn't really representative of the film, and the actual film is, uh, you know, a lot more unpredictable than than this trailer. So I'm absolutely yeah. I mean, and I'm not going to give it away, but the ending, you're like, what? What did I just see? Are you serious? But it makes sense with the character. A really good example of this. There's a scene in the film where you real, where you find out that uh, Seth Rogen's character's mother, he lives at home. Uh, his mother is a, a raving alcoholic that he actually has to take care of. Um, kind of like in a nursing home. He that has is to, funny. You know, I mean, it's no, it's not the funny part. This is where it shows with like they punch you with kind of its bleakness. And there's a moment where um, she says, well, you know, I'm, this is enough to make me kind of, you know, give up my habits. And he says, oh, mommy, you mean you're going to stop drinking? No, I'm just going to switch to beer. I can do that all night long and pass out and be fine. And you're like, oh, that's not really that funny. That's- so that's how this. The darkness kind of weaves its way into this movie. Well, this is, I think uh, Kelly Clark had made the reference to Cable Guy, which is uh, which in the movie I really care for all that much. But I do sort of I do appreciate the fact that the Cable Guy was it sort of seemed like it was going to be one kind of movie, and then it took a series of increasingly weird left turns. Yeah. And by the end of the film, you were you did have that sort of like, what did I just watch? Like, why? What is this? That's kind of how I feel on this. This one's going to have a huge uh, aftermarket audience on the DVD market. Right. That's where it's going to really explode. I mean, there's another scene where the, all the the mall security guards get hopped up on cocaine and go beat the crap out of skateboarders. Really? And it's it's wacky, but it's also dark and mean. And anyone that has ever had to work that kind of job is probably thinking, boy, what I would have given to do that. He's Aaron Duran, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that's not the sort of thing you typically see in, in Hollywood fair at this no, point, though. No, that's uh, the thing. <laughs> the zany, violent use of cocaine. Because I was kind of doubting Seth Rogen. Like, no, this is, yeah, Excellent. it's good. How's yes. Anna Ferris? She's good. You know, we're pals now. She, uh, yeah. I'm going to add her to my Are uh, you to tweeting my each feed. other? No, I'm going to, uh, well, that'll come later, Aaron. You have to buy a, a lady dinner first. Yeah. All right. We'll do this ahead. Tim Riley at the news desk. Aaron Duran will talk uh, more about Star Trek, which had a uh, oh. apparently fantastic premiere. At the uh, Alamo all right. That is just ahead, as well as a final pair of tickets to see Pennywise as part of the Jägermeister music tour at the Roseland. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Wow, there was just the most awkward revelation made uh, just as the song was ending. Yeah. I'm wearing this. I'm wearing this kind of. It's not not vintage as such, but it's it's a, you know it's kind of faded. It's used. It's this Buffalo uh, Exchange shirt, and it's from it's the Kiss Rock and Roll Over album cover, but it's just a, it's done in black, white, and red. So it's a black shirt, and then it's got it's got the white and red artwork of Kiss's Rock and Roll Over. And Sarah says, uh, you know, the uh, Sarah says, hey, the, yeah, the shirt is new, and I just made this observation that. Well, uh, you know, I just got all these great clothes at Buffalo Exchange. And then somebody said, well, that's probably because someone passed away. And then I felt bad. So now I feel like an awful person. But, you know, my clothing game. You're not an game. awful person. Well, all right. You're not an awful person. No, I am an awful person. You are an awful person. I really am. Yes. All right. Mm-hmm. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Uh, we have Aaron Duran, who will uh, continue his observations about film, including the uh, the new Star Trek uh, uh, movie, which I guess got the full... I mean, it was like even before it premiered in Australia, right? 
Um, so it was at the Alamo Draft House. And we'll talk about that. Uh, we have uh, Tim Riley coming up with news in one moment. Susan Reynolds, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, joining us here. Hello. How are you? Good morning. I'm Hi. fine. Thanks. Um, so just to wrap this up once and for all and to tie everything up with a bow. So this is... This is something that your uh, daughter, uh, your older daughter, was going to come in and talk to us about about this whole twittering business because we could, just during the break, I guess Sarah accidentally messaged Fat Boy like seven times in a row with no, the same no, message because I was trying to write it and then it kept saying like, "Do you want to save or find the file?" I'm like, I don't know, so I kept trying to send it. I guess every time I tried to send it, it sent it to him and didn't tell me. So, so now I look like an idiot. It's that thing where like yeah, where, where you realize that you've inadvertently sent uh, the same email to someone nine times oh, in a I row. Oh, I hate that. Uh, so we were going to have uh, your, your daughter, who she's what, 15? She's 14. 14. Well, she'll be 15. So, so we were going to have her come in and explain this to us because you always figure that uh, the young people understand what they're doing way better they're than we the do. Technology. And listen, every time I'm having a problem with my computer or anything I have a question about, I ask her and she's right there fixing. She's, she has surpassed me uh, long ago. And so I guess you talked to her yesterday. Mm-hmm. I texted her. Did you see? But that <laughs> see the biggest indicator that she would have said Twitter isn't interesting to young people is that she didn't. That's not how you got a hold of her. And when she sort of canvassed her friends about it, it wasn't. It was like via text or instant messaging or something. Yeah, I got an IDK, which is you know, <laughs> I don't know. All right. Uh, anyway, so um, yeah, I, she really and and I said, have you asked all your friends? Yes, nobody. And then we came to this conclusion, um, yeah, I heard you talking about this earlier, that really the only people that would, would Twitter would be those who need attention, whose lives are so interesting that they need to share every every minute uh, with, with the world uh, and, and people they know and people they don't know. Who would do that? Okay, well, you think about it. Celebrities, politicians, you know, people who are in the public eye and have chosen that life. And, and you know, I, it also occurred to me that this was sort of a big, um, you know, suck it to the paparazzi because, you know, how the paparazzi follows these people around relentlessly. Well, this is their way of saying, look at me, how cool I am. I'm doing this right now. And, and you know, you don't even know it yet. I think it was, it was you that referenced Demi Moore, who yeah. I don't know. I don't oh. know if you, if you if you sort of made this up as an example of the kind of thing she says or if she actually <laughs> she does. She actually did say this. Sort of like, I get to go home and uh, bang Ashton Kutcher. What are you doing tonight? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, she and Ashton are, are big Twitterers. And um, they and literally they will be sitting on the couch together and and they're both sending tweets. And, um, you know, it it, it seems so ridiculous that, you know, but she did say something about somebody made a comment. Her her uh, her name on Twitter is Mrs. Kutcher. And um, apparently somebody made a comment about Ashton and how hot he was. And she said, girls, I get to sleep with him every night. Wow. You know, I thought, oh, okay. So (laughs) then somebody's getting afraid of her age. Maybe. (laughs) I'm still desirable. Look at me. Tell me how hot not, I am. Not too closely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look at me from a distance through sunglasses. And a soft focus lens. Yeah. Anyway, um, I so I went online. I thought, you know, this is going to be an interesting little uh, experiment. So I went online just to see who are these celebrities that are uh, sending tweets. And as you would expect, you've got Al Gore, even Barack Obama. By the way, Al Gore was one of the default people that it signed me up to follow. It was Ryan Seacrest, Brent Spiner. Of all people, uh, Al Gore, well, and then like a bunch of people I never heard of. I mean, Al Gore it did invent the internet, so it would make sense no. that he would be it's on the leading right. edge of all this he stuff. Gets grandfathered in, and then you've got like Britney Spears, okay, uh, Fran Drescher, 
<laughs> yeah, because we all want to hear from her. Well, at least we don't have to hear her voice. You're really making us feel good about adopting this as a technology. <laughs> uh, Hillary Clinton, I know you're a fan. I am. Uh, Jimmy Fallon, Joe Biden, John Cleese, Carl Rove. Now, wouldn't you like to get his tweets? No, now see, that's see, he's a guy that I would almost uh, that I would follow though, just because I want to know what his next nefarious plan is. Yeah, uh, Katie Couric. Not so much. Mm. Okay. I mean, not that I'm not a, you know, Rick Emerson's she a team to work player a and all that. Yeah, no, <laughs> well, I, good I was, use of the company time. Don't, say, don't you think she should be focusing on uh, <laughs> getting some ratings? Uh, Lance Armstrong. Okay. okay. Uh, LeVar Burton. Yeah. MC Hammer. Okay. Mm. Well, he's got some spare time. Yes. Uh, to me and Ashton, of course. Uh, John Lithgow. What? I don't uh, John, know. John Lithgow is sort of like, John Lithgow is sort of like uh, Lenny Kravitz to me in that I don't really know anybody who's like a massive fan of either of them. I don't know. I need to own everything John Lithgow has ever done. But I don't really know anybody who despises John Lithgow. He's just sort of there. Well, he's a good actor. He plays a good bad guy. Yeah, I suppose. All right. uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. No. Stephen Fry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Stephen Fry. I could see that. Okay. Yeah. Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq. No. 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 Taylor Swift. Also, no. Uh, oh. I, well, there's well, an unpleasant okay. sort of history there. Oh, but. yes. I do recall. Uh, William Shatner. Yes. yes. And again, he's the kind of guy <laughs> like, that loves... <laughs> but see, but it's like you could, you could fill in that blank with anything, though. It's like, do you want to know about William Shatner? Blank. Be, yes. Yes, I do. Will Wheaton. No. Yes. Okay. And here's oh, the only... Re- yes. See, but here's the only reason I say no is because I was talking to Fatboy about this last night. He came by uh, the office and we were sort of talking about whatever. And I told him that I got signed up for Brent Spiner's... Uh, uh, he was Data on Star Trek The Next mm-hmm. Generation. And I can't figure out if it's like performance art or if they're real. But Brent Spiner's are like a lot of like, and my agent fired me today. Uh, I and uh, also I'm behind on my house payments. A guy really? Off- I thought more- you were going to read some of those. But they were just too depressing. And another one was like, so a guy offered me a bunch of money to do like a data porn. Uh, I think I'm too old for porn. No. Just like I'm too old to play data. And I was like, wow. And I was uh, that that was the one when he said that I'm like, ah, I got to delete all these and never read them again. It was really bringing me down. So I mentioned it to Fat Boy, and I'm like, well, maybe Will Wheaton, you know, because that's always funny. If you say Will Wheaton, it's a funny way to end a sentence. It's and like he sells uh, um, underwear with his face on it. Is that true? Oh, yeah. At willwheaton.com. He sells thongs with his face on them. The best part is how you <laughs> oh, yeah. you immediately had that knowledge at your fingertips and assumed that everybody else did. Um, how could you not know? So I said, Aaron well, knows. Well, Bobby told me that he's like, that he said the deal with Will Wheaton is so that you'll add him and then you will immediately delete him because what you realize is he is that guy that about 35 seconds uh you know, later will you know, update whatever you know is cleaning garbage disposal. Now is walking to the kitchen. Is in the kitchen. Is deciding to grind coffee beans. Has something on the bottom of his shoe. And he's you take about a day of that, and then you just uh, you just block him forever. Yeah. So, well, right. and then the last person on here that I was kind of surprised about was Yoko Ono. Yeah, but that's just a bunch of incomprehensible symbols yeah. on the screen uh, Maybe. that uh, everybody secretly ignores, but they tell her that they're reading them. Mm. So is uh, the, the important question, though, as an employee of CBS Radio Portland that I think Sarah and Tim and I all want to know is, uh, have any of these uh, celebrities monetized this new and exciting ancillary revenue stream, Susan? Uh, this I do not know. I will say that I uh, months ago signed up for Twitter just because I thought I should, and I have not figured out what to do with it. <laughs> but two people are following me. I have not sent out one thing, but I've gotten these emails. They're waiting for you, Susan. Yeah, I guess so. So I better get busy uh, on this. Uh, I, I really can't figure out what to say. I'll let you. Uh, <laughs> I'm sitting on the couch watching American Idol. Uh, who cares? I'll let you get back to increasing the. <laughs> Yeah. Uh-huh. I'll let you get back to creating positive cash flow on this new media. <laughs> okay. Right. I'll let you know what happens. Send out a memo to everybody when you do that. <laughs> All right.
Right. It's the uh, Rick Emerson Show. Tim Riley, what headlines will you have for us around the corner? Well, I'm glad you asked. A Tualatin company will hire 175 people to help iPhone users, whatever help they may need. Uh, Bob Barker turns out a role in a pornographic movie. Levi Johnston claims he can provide for his baby even without a steady job. And Mariah Carey twitters that she's up early and her two dogs aren't getting along very well. All right. You know, even I'm getting sick of the word Twitter at this point. Maybe over the weekend I'll try to expunge that word from my vocabulary. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Aaron Duran also will uh, have some news for us about the Star Trek film. And we'll have your final pair of tickets to see Pennywise as part of the Jägermeister Music Tour at the Roseland, April 14th. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Stay right there. It's Rock 101 KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show returns. I cannot tell you how many times somebody will be walking by and they go, Whoa! This is Rock 101 KUFO. That was the uh, Walt uh, oh. line that just ran there. Sorry, Aaron and I were arguing about Superman. Here's the wow. Here's the best thing, by the way, about uh, about Harold uh, Perrineau from uh, you know, Lost, and he's the Unusuals and Oz. He was awesome. Um, when he did that, th- you asked him that question about do people come up and they yell Walt at him. Was your intention to get him to say to, to do the Walt thing? No, but it was the best outcome ever. So he ends up going, you know, oh, people always come up and they go, Whoop! And, and he does the Walt thing. And we were kind of joking that it sounded like a guy uh, hurling. It, it, it didn't really sound like Walt, uh, you know, when he said that on the phone, especially because the phone sort of, you know, it clutters everything up. It didn't really sound like Walt um, so much as it sounded like right there. I mean, that was more or less the uh, right there. That's. And so we were playing back his Walt sounder a whole bunch. So Court from uh, Court Fatboy in the afternoon. So Court uh, callers in the hallway and he's like, hey, uh, so I was driving in the, what was that vomit sound you guys kept playing? And I said, you mean the actual vomit? He goes, no, 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 the guy vomiting over the phone. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you know, the guy who was on the phone, but he's vomiting. And I said, I'm not really sure. And then it occurred to me, it's this that he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> he actually, he had no context for it, thought it was just vomit. You mean, uh, which, and let's just be very clear, uh, that's not vomit. Uh, this right here is. Uh... Well, you can tell because the Walt is dry. Uh, All right, let's try, let's try and sync it just one time. All right, just, one, okay, uh, remember, one, two, three, okay, and it's then on on the, four. It's on the non-existent four. One, two, two three. At the news desk, it's Tim Riley. Come on. <laughs> In the news with Tim Riley. Uh, Wiley Thief is disguising himself as a Comcast worker, and he's breaking into homes in Lake Oswego and Southwest. Now, Comcast says all their employees have IDs, and they keep them visible at all times. If a technician is coming to your house for a service appointment, you can request a work order or some other form of paperwork. Levi Johnston, that's Bristol Palin's ex, who fathered her baby, says he can provide for that child even though he is unemployed. Thank God it is Friday. Let me, can I just I stop for one second here? Okay, let's just, let me just stop everything. <laughs> let me be very clear about something. I, and I think I speak for Sarah, I think I speak for Tim, 
please speak uh, with me. I can't. I have nothing left to say. I I am not one of those guys that says thank you, TGIF. Boy, thank God it's Friday. I can't wait to go. It's uh, good Friday. I can't wait to go uh, to go get uh, to go get effed up and uh, and look for bitches tonight. I uh, boy, it's been a heck of a week. You're so relatable. I am. I am not that guy because you know what? Uh, I got. I got. I'm fully aware of the fact that I got a way better job than most people are ever fortunate enough to we get. All do. I mean, we have great. Yeah. This is a great job, and I would never. You know, as much as we sort of uh, kind of carp about some of the things in radio, I am fully aware that I am unbelievably lucky and that I get to do something I enjoy for a living. All that notwithstanding, there are days where you're just like, F this. When do I when do I get to be done? And this has been, I think, the culmination of a week in which there have been a whole bunch of little tiny audio uh, issues that I think have just reached a sort of critical mass in the last half an hour where nothing we tried to play worked correctly. And if it did work correctly... It worked correctly after a period of about seven seconds. So just now, Tim would hit the sound effect. Nothing would happen. I would finally say, well, I guess the sound effect's not going to play. I guess I'll come in with some of my patented wit. Hey, Tim, did you ever? And then right as I say that, then you hear uh, idiot Levi Johnston begin speaking <laughs> in the background. It's Jesus. death by a thousand paper cuts. It is, uh, it is one of those things where if you have an audio uh, cut that you're supposed to play or something like that, if it happens once... You know, twice, three times, whatever. None of those that you can you can kind of brush any of those off. Yes, there does though. Uh, I think uh, start to become a cumulative stress and irritation and annoyance with that sort of a thing. And I think uh, here at eight forty nine a.m. on Friday, uh, April the tenth, uh, two thousand nine, I believe we have reached the enough point uh, for, <laughs> for the week. So when we come back on Monday. Uh, we'll be uh, everything will be fixed, refreshed. Well, no, let's no. not have any illusions about that. Um, we can start we can this whole process again. And then by the time we get to Friday, yeah, but you know, but here's the my annoyometer will be back at zero by Monday okay. morning. Uh, if I, I were... think it's just peaking because it's been five days of constant. Seriously, uh, this is uh, you know this is like in Halo when your shields get overheated and you have to stop and let everything cool down before you can go out and uh, you know and uh, you know and, and fight the Covenant again or whatever. Uh, so uh, Monday, everything's going to be back to normal today. I don't think I'm telling anything that anybody can't tell if I say that I'm uh, I'm ever so slightly uh, ragged at this point and a little uh, a little raw around the edges. Tim, do you have any news that doesn't require you to push any buttons or make anything happen? Can you provide? For the <laughs> yeah, that's great. Thanks. Do you have a job? Yeah. Not not like a not as like such a st- like steady job right now. No. So how can you provide for him? I'd find a way. Oh, she's. Gently coddling him, like, so how can you provide for him? Who is the interviewer there? Do we know? We don't know. I mean, I just, <laughs> I just assume it's Katie Couric uh, whenever I hear a question like that, but I could be way off. Good God Almighty. All right, let's talk Star Trek uh, before, we, uh, before, we come to the, before we beam ourselves out of here. Shields are weak, Captain. The Alamo Draft House is a famous uh, venue in, in, in Austin where yes. they show a lot of stuff. Harry Knowles from Ain't It Cool News. They do a lot of events there. So what the deal is, as I understand it, they were supposed to be showing 10 minutes of the new Star Trek film earlier in the week, and right. they were going to be showing a really cleaned up, restored print of Wrath of Khan, which right. is generally accepted to be like the, you know, the greatest of the Trek films. So... What happens there? Nimoy shows up. Well, what happens like in Abrams or whatever? They're kind of after the ten minutes. Abrams is doing his spiel, and this nondescript guy, like in an overcoat and like a hood, carrying a film canister, just kind of walks up the aisle and walks on stage, and in you know classic Trek fashion, you know, takes the hood off 
and it's Leonard Nimoy. And, you know, the crowd explodes like, oh, goo, Leonard Nimoy's here, awesome. And uh, Leonard Nimoy says, did you enjoy the 10 minutes? Rah! Was it enough? No. Would you like to see more? Rah! They go nuts. And he says, all right, well, would you like to watch the entire film? That is so cool. That and, just kind of uh, gives me chills. It just explodes. And, you know, after a quick little, you know, another little mini Q&A session, uh, they fired off the new Trek film, which basically had its global premiere at uh, the, uh, the Alamo Draft House a few days ago. And the advance word is just that it's that it's exceptional. Yeah, oh, there were some critics wait. that were there, critics that have openly said, "We are, I am not a Trek fan," mm-hmm. and even they were like, "Yeah, this is this is the one." Well, then it's good so. that it took the extra time because it was yeah initially yeah. supposed to come out at Christmas, right? Well, and it's also good that the the people that pretty much buried Trek in the in the nineties are have nothing to do with it anymore, right? right. So it's it's in the hands of people that clearly you know love Roddenberry's original kind of belief with Trek and are taking it that way. So. Fantastic! Cool. What's going on at GeekInTheCity.com? GeekInTheCity.com right now. The uh, new podcast is up, issue twelve of Geek in the City Radio. But the uh, the real important thing right now is that Geek in the City is working with the Stumptown Comics Fest, which is April eighteenth and nineteenth at the Lloyd Center DoubleTree in their big convention center area in the, at uh, at the DoubleTree by Lloyd. And the Sumtown Comics Fest is, in my opinion, the country's premier independent comic book convention. And we should say, by the way, that uh, because there seems to have been some confusion about this on many, 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 many fronts, the Stumptown Comic Fest, this is not like uh, comics as in, hey, so two guys go into a bar. No. What about airplane food? You notice that women like to shop, am I right? <laughs> I don't mean that. Because no one wants that. It's graphic novels. <laughs> it, uh, this is uh, this is actual art. Uh, this, is, uh, this is so it's like comic books, graphic novels, artists, yeah. writers, and the community, and it's very very cool. And actually, CBS Radio Portland's going to be there. We're going to be yes, uh, we working are, yeah. around the perimeter of yep. that place. Cool. So yeah, it's very cool. We got a bunch of guests coming in, and Dark Horse Press, and Oni's going to be there. It's it's a fantastic time. All right, so but no, seriously, have you noticed that? Uh, have you noticed that guys do this, but uh, <laughs> women they do something else. Hey, who knows women? <laughs> uh, look at me. You should tweet that. Yeah, I'll do it right now. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Tim Riley recaps today's biggest stories around the corner. Don't forget, coming up at 9, it is Smells Like the 90s with your friend Buzz. Stay there. Rick Emerson Show wraps up next.